What's up, guys? We have a packed show today. Colin and I breaking down all things Ole Miss, Arkansas. Before we get going today, just want to remind you the podcast brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website. Skybox is the creator of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has been refined and tested through years of experience and trial and error. These guys are legit. I hope any and all of you capitalize on the Skybox Sports Pick special over the weekend. They hit Justin Rose as the first-round leader at plus 4,500. They were profitable on their head-to-heads over the weekend. You need to check these guys out. I'm telling you. Baseball season's cranking up. You've got more golf majors. The NBA playoffs are coming up. Just because March Madness is over does not mean Skybox is slowing down. At the very least, go snag a daily pass. Maybe you wanted to get a little degenerate action at work. Go do some day baseball games. They have a $10 daily pass with the promo code RIPPY, 20% off all purchases. That's 8 bucks. But, again, I would recommend going with the full season, maybe a full year pass. If you're trying to look for something in between the two, they've got month-long packages, week-long packages. You can try all kinds of stuff. They have a special or a package, I promise, that's going to fit your price range. And it's going to pay for itself anyway because they're going to lead you to profit. These guys are legitimate. If you're into NASCAR at all, I would tell you, go check this out right now, particularly the season-long NASCAR pass. I'm going to have their NASCAR guy on and explain the secrets of the trade without giving too much away just because I'm fascinated by how one goes about handicapping NASCAR. But check these guys out, skyboxsportspicks.com. They crushed it over the weekend at the Masters. Justin Rose hitting after round one was an absolutely massive play. They were up 30 units on the day on Thursday. So you're really just missing out not going buying a year-long pass for these dudes. But if you need some sort of package in the middle, they have it. Um, So go check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. Again, use the promo code RIPPY. And you get 20% off any of your purchases on there. Podcast brought to you also by LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. You know the drill. Greg's the man. This week, we're going to roll into the week with just the $10 Prime Strip special. So for $10, you can walk in. And if you're a subscriber to the Ricky Rippy Wright's newsletter, you can go get a $10 Prime Strip that's 16 ounces that will be absolutely worth your while. I think you guys ran Greg through the 16-ounce ribeye sausage. Uh, one per person. We had reports of people going in with coolers and getting in. <laughs> three and four packages at a time. Greg's trying to help you guys out. Go in and go check out the 16-ounce prime strip for 10 bucks. but go buy something else. He's got all kinds of sausages. The plate lunches are coming back. It's the best place in Mississippi to get meat for all of your grilling needs. We're going to have a Grill Corner segment on the podcast this week coming back. Check him out, LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. If you're a Rippy Rights subscriber, all you have to do is go in and type rippyrights at subsag.com and type in your email for free. And you'll be getting LB specials from now until one of us dies, either me or Greg. So that seems like a pretty long time. 245 years, 300 with advances in modern sciences and modern, (laughs) in my high level of income. Check them out. LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Got a packed show going on today. Colin and I talked all things Ole Miss Arkansas, the mismanagement of Drew McDaniel, the pitching staff as a whole, who needs to step up offensively, who doesn't. Got all kinds of stuff going for you. It's the usually Sunday night marathon. Hit some master thoughts at the end. Let's go. Rippy writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcript can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What's up? Happy 
Sunday night. I'm dropping this Sunday night. Whenever you're listening to this, probably mostly Monday morning. I am Brian Scott Rippey. That was the world's worst podcast intro. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippey Writes podcast. As he joins me every Sunday night during baseball season, Colin Brister, we will react to the Ole Miss baseball series. They lost, obviously, to Arkansas. Two games out of three. Pretty wild Sunday game. We'll get into all that. I'll hit some Masters at the end. Pretty cool uh, moment for Hideki Matsuyama there. Kind of anticlimactic, but uh, interesting nonetheless. Uh, but we'll obviously, this is going to be a baseball-centric show. And uh, without further ado, what's up, man? Uh, not much. Not much. Um, Derek Diamond's ERA. That's what's up. Yeah, I was uh, – you know, outside of that, before we started recording, I was like – I said, what's up again? And you said sunburnt and pissed which would probably describe maybe a lot of people still listening to this. I imagine a bunch of people that were at the game, if you're listening to this, uh, but that sunburn is probably still wearing in while you're at work the next day. You're wondering if that Sunday fun day was such a good idea. But uh, you were in attendance. Was that all – were you in attendance all three games? Yeah, yeah, I went to all three. What a wild series. I, you know, I don't even know where to begin with this. I hate, like, doing, like, the radio tease uh, on this right. football series, particularly where I- – particularly with, like, how this one went. I mean, how you could do an entire show on the Sunday game. Where would you like to start? All right, I have to ask, you, and, and you have to give me an answer. I have to ask if Ole Miss losing this series was my fault. Um, because – so, I, I, I go to game one, and, you know, there's an hour and a half break in between game and one, one and two, right? Correct. So, we, we get this genius idea. It's like, hey, we're not going to wait around the park for an hour and a half. Like, let's just go get something to eat. So, like, four of us, the guys I was at the game with, um, getting an Uber. And we go to eat at Chili's. And we get to Chili's and eat, and then it's time to go back, and there's not an Uber or a Lyft in that freaking city to be found. So we missed the first two innings of game two, trying to get in a Lyft to get back to the stadium. We eventually get back, and that's the one game Ole Miss wins. So is it my fault? Should I have missed the first two innings of the game on Sunday? And that's what – you know what, frankly, I am beginning to think this is my fault. It was either that or someone seated close to you, and the other guy I'm referring to actually had a seat on the field and wore a black shirt. <laughs> I'll let yeah. you take the blame if you want to, but I, I feel like I know where you want to shift it. But yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Power move, by the way. I'll have a couple of thoughts on that. One power move that's deciding on Chili's, of all places, after a baseball right. game. It's the new golf course, All-American Meal. I, I seriously do respect that. No sarcasm at all. I'm serious. That's a uh, – that's a power move after a baseball game. I don't know how it could get more American unless you just went to dessert at Applebee's. And then it was... uh, number three, I mean, my second thought on that would be, I hate the fact that you couldn't find a lifter for an Uber, but that tells me Oxford is back, and I am happy to hear that. Yeah, yeah, it was a zoo. Um, but, no, it was like – so we actually left because we were pissed off in the top of the eighth or maybe the bottom of the eighth, uh, right when Calvin Harris grounded into his, like, eighth double play of the game. Um so we left right then, and then so we had like really two hours to kill because there was an hour and a half or whatever between games, maybe an hour fifteen, and then you know the forty-five minutes to end the game, the first game. So uh, we had a little time to kill, but yeah, no, no, no ride back. So we eventually got one, but it was I didn't walk into the stadium. I can tell you when I walked into the stadium was uh, right before Leather or uh, Hayden Dunhurst got his RBI single. So yeah, it was uh, that was an adventure to get back, but not. It was a really cool atmosphere this week. I know we'll get into the baseball side of it, but it, it was really cool. I mean, they had 33,000 people over three games. It's the largest uh, three-game series crowd uh, in Ole Miss history. I mean, uh, Oxford is certainly back. Ole Miss is certainly back. I went and spent a little time in right field tonight or uh, this afternoon after when Ole Miss went down 11 to nothing because I was just pissed off and I needed to be in right field. Um, but, 
yeah, I mean, it, 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 it was, I know I keep saying this, but it, it did feel like normal again. And, and that's what big weekends in Oxford are supposed to feel like outside Ole Miss is supposed to win the series. Yeah. And I think that transition, I was going to make one point before we headed into the baseball series was like, so obviously I'm not there, but I was heading, I was watching it all unfold on television today after a nice little hoop session I got in this morning. We'll get to that. Saw that. Yeah. It's pretty, pretty, pretty big deal. Not to brag. I was, I was lighting it up everyone around the court was like, shit, this kid must've played in college anyway. But after that I got back and it just got like, I had the old Miss game on the TV and the masters on the laptop. And granted I switched it a couple of times, depending on, it was kind of funny viewing experience because when Ole Miss got down 11 to nothing, I was like, actually masters is going on the TV. Ole Miss is going on the laptop. And then the masters lead went from like three to six and Ole Miss scores five runs. And I was like, okay, Ole Miss going back on the TV Masters <laughs> going back on the laptop. And I did this two more times. And this is not interesting commentary at all. I would just say this to say, at the end, they were showing the crowds, obviously, all weekend. They were great crowds. And then even just watching the end of the Masters, and I know it wasn't full capacity there, but just hearing Hideki tap that last putt in and having an actual roar of a crowd and it kind of feeling a little bit Augusta-ish again, it feels like the world's going back to normal. And whatever your you know political beliefs are on COVID and all that, I can't help but not feel happy that you know things feel normal-ish again because – Geez, if I had to watch a bunch of Ole Miss baseball this season in an empty, uh, you know, that yeah. place is not big enough to, I guess, be cavernous, but just be empty and kind of dead would just stink. It was, it was just kind of good that everything felt normal. It was a, it was a hell of an April afternoon. I'll put it that way. It was, it was, it was, it was, it was a heck of a series. Um, you know, we'll get into it here, but I, I frankly, there, it was, it was too, it was the best team in the country and a top five team in the country going at each other. And, and Arkansas was just, just had a little bit more on the weekend. Yeah. And that's as good a place to start as any, as we always do, let's just rip through Friday. And I know we always don't go in, you know, chronological order each game, but sure. Gunner's always kind of the starting point of his deal. Let's just start there. I, you know, he was dealing through what? He was, four innings? He, he was as good it was his best performance at Ole Miss from an abs- from a dominant standpoint through five innings. It was as it was as good as he's ever been. Yeah, and it's it's weird. So he most through eight strikeouts, I believe most of those happened through I guess the first five. I said he was as good as he's probably ever been through five innings. Mosin and then that balloons to five walks. And I know that'll kind of lead us into the to the refereeing, umpiring, whatever you want to call it, behind home plate that took place. But things really just kind of went awry for him in the sixth and that game not got out of control in the sixth, but man, Ole Miss puts up a two spot in the first, a one spot in the third. And one of the things we were talking about was, can these guys, are they tough enough to kind of scrape out two, three runs over the course of a game, you know, better yet early on in a game on an opponent's ace and kind of give your man a cushion out there. And they did exactly that. And, you know, Gunner is dealing through five innings and the six kind of goes awry. And I know you texted me, we were talking about this, I guess the day of, but also earlier today as well, to where he kind of starts getting squeezed, the umpiring starts coming in. What, in the sixth, he goes single, fly out, walk, single. Kind of squeezed on some pitches and all of those at-bats, and things kind of just went haywire when Ole Miss went to Kimbrell in the bullpen. And we'll get – I have a couple points I'd like to run by you off of that, but I just thought Gunner was good, and it's weird to say that because he's gone – He's had so much length in the first three games, even when he hasn't had his best stuff. And then he goes five innings, and you think, man, he was dealing what happened. Yeah, I mean, look, how many – I don't know if you have Gunner's stat line in front of you, but I think he walked five people. Is that right? He did, and two of them came in that last inning. Gun- 
Gunnar Hoagland doesn't walk five people in five innings. That's not a thing that happens. Uh, Gunnar Hoagland can get hit at times, but it's going to be because he throws it over the freaking plate. Um, and, and I'll be honest, I've always – this has always pissed me off that, that un- umpires get to hide, hide behind a cloud of anonymity. Uh, un- anonymity is the word I'm looking for. So I went and looked their names up. Brandon Cooper was as awful as he could be on, on Friday – or I guess it was Saturday morning. Um, Gunnar was pounding. And I went back and watched the replay to make sure I wasn't just – it just wasn't just there. Because I, where I sit is a little bit off from home plate. It's not directly behind it. It's a little bit to the left. Um, but, no, he was an absolute garbage cannon of, of an umpire. And and what that does is – like, you explained to me how Gunnar Hoagman gives up no hits through 5.1 innings but throws 105 pitches to a team that had no prayer against him. Um, it's abs- it was absolutely ridiculous. Um, and then, you know, if Gunner's able to get – because he goes 5.1 and he leaves, he does, hasn't given up a run. If Gunner's able to get five more outs because the umpire doesn't squeeze him, they hand the ball to Broadway in the eighth inning and Ole Miss wins that game, what, three to nothing or three to one because Broadway would have shut him down. Um, and I know Broadway had the tough outing today, but that's what happens when you, when you throw 47 pitches uh, the day before. We can get into that decision. I thought leaving Broadway in with, with seven or on lead was interesting. I kind of understood it in one vein and kind of didn't in another. But we can get into that when we talk about Saturday's game. I just thought Brandon Cooper was horrid behind the plate. And, and look, yeah, Ole Miss's bottom of the lineup was very bad. They didn't get anything done. But frankly, Gunnar Hoagland gets three runs. There's very few teams in the country that if you have confident officiating behind the plate that, that you lose the baseball game because Gunnar Hoagland's that good. Um, and unfortunately for Ole Miss, they did. And they weren't able to – I thought the key to win game ones was be able to hand – Gunnar Hoagland needed to hand the ball to Taylor Broadway. And unfortunately, the gap from – you know, uh, Hoagland to what would have been Broadway up on this Adelaide just was not able to get it done. And look, so I, and I don't, I want to be very clear. Um, I'm not necessarily blaming Brandon Cooper, the home plate umpire for the first game, uh, for how he officiated the guys after Gunnar Hoagland. I didn't think those guys were very good, but Gunnar Hoagland was dominant. He was getting absolutely zero benefit of the doubt. The outside corner didn't freaking exist. And I don't know if anybody, that, that listens to us knows anything about Gunner. I've, I've talked to him a few times and whatnot. Uh, Gunner doesn't get upset or rattled, and he was pissed Saturday morning or, or Saturday afternoon, whatever you got. He was livid. So when you when you consider that, I mean, it it, it, it was just a straight up garbage can of an of an umpiring performance. Yeah, that's actually a great point by you, particularly towards the end of. I mean, talking about towards the end of Gunner's outing because you know we were talking about it earlier today. And I was texting you, you know, in the stadium while rightfully so, you were probably still a little hot and mad. And I was pushing back on the idea that, uh, you know, Ole Miss walked 17 guys today. I think they hit two more, which is just a staggering number. Again, we'll get to that in a minute. But I was pushing back on the idea. I guess I was talking that game more in particular, even though I know it wasn't great and Mike got tossed. And again, I guess we'll get to kind of the money game here in a minute. Sure. Um, but obviously, we always go back and forth, and I was pushing back on you a little bit, and you're like, hell no, these guys are awful. But I'll concede that to you, and I will actually make the point, now kind of thinking about it from the way you just said it, it actually probably had more of an effect on game one than it did game three. Granted, that guy sucked today. Mike gets tossed. I get that. I'm not sticking up for whoever that was. Well, I don't even know if it was the same guy. But couldn't you No, make it wasn't. That that it was Steve Hagan. Okay, so but couldn't you make an argument that the guy in game one actually had a bigger impact in game three? Because – like you said, Gunner doesn't walk that. I mean, I'll go through his walk total. I have his game log through here. He walked three dudes through against Texas Tech. It's kind of like, eh. actually, if you watch that game, it was kind of a situational type thing, particularly sure. on them. Zero against UCF, 
two against Belmont, one, 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 three against Florida. And, you know, you kind of saw how some of those go. He gets rattled. Not rattled, but when your defense sucks that bad, it's kind of like you're taking some more chances. And then all of a sudden, five today. And it comes out of nowhere, right? And two of them come in the last – I guess two of them happened in the six, two of them happened in the four. So, uh, I guess stand corrected there. But he's the guy that had that ridiculous stat line coming out of high school where he'd only walked one kid his entire high school, his entire senior season or whatever that stupid stat was. And it was kind of yep. like got to the point where it's like – hey, is this actually a good thing? I think you should actually kind of try to walk some kids sometimes. And I think he suffered from that his freshman year by just, hey, my fastball will be good enough to get guys out in this league if I don't have the other thing. Obviously, it was not. He learned his lesson. But that's actually a great point to where, you know, like you said, Gunner doesn't really walk five guys. And it's one thing if he's struggling out of the gate. But the dude deals for three innings, kind of runs into a couple of troubles in the fourth with walks where he gets squeezed still gets out of it, has a good fifth, and the sixth goes awry. Like, that doesn't just happen because of him. Like, Gunner was not uh, Gunner was not searching for it at all, and yet still ends up with five walks, which is frustrating from an uh, umpiring standpoint. I'll concede that. Yeah, I mean, it, it, and, well, I mean, you talk about game three, and, and that's what screws you for game three because, you know, if Gunner gets the calls, then game three, frankly – Ole Miss has already won the series um, because Taylor Broadway would have shoved it up their tails for two innings and Ole Miss would have won the game three to one. Um, and you're having a completely different conversation today. But Brandon Cooper squeezes him and then today becomes really important. Um, it was it was unfortunate. Look, Ole Miss's outfit, look, we can, there was more stories to the first game than, than Brandon Cooper, but um, he was terrible. And, and, and it, what will I'll never forget watching Gunner just look helpless on the mound because dude would not call a strike. And, and like I said, like I've been around Gunner, I think two or three times and look, I don't know this guy very well, but I, I think that, you know, from talking to people that do know him, well, like I think I have an idea of what kind of person he is. He's not a guy that gets upset or flustered easily. And he was ready to roll on Saturday afternoon. He was livid walking off the mound. So, you know, you know, he thought he, he was squeezed, and and frankly, I think today uh, Mike getting thrown out. Look, the guy today was was an absolute joke of an umpire, but today was a culmination of game one and one, two, and three when Mike got run. That that didn't just blow up today. Yeah, for sure. And you know, you get to that sixth inning, and you know, I thought he ends up in that even count with Goodhart, where he singles up the middle, and I thought he got squeezed on at least one of those pitches there. He gets a fly out to Wallace, and then that at bat with Slavens or however you say his last name, Gunner gets behind 3-0. You could make an argument two of those were, eh, come yep. on, man. Then he gets a strike and walks him on four pitches, and that's really where Gunner's outing ends, right, because he throws one more ball to Franklin. It's a single up the middle. And then they go to Kimbrell. And be that as it may, you know, uh, uh, you know him getting squeezed and that ending so frustratingly aside, again, Gunner Hogan works so efficiently. You look up and you look the way he deals for – the better part of four innings out of five, I know he ran into a little bit of trouble in the fourth, but four of the five innings, he was just kind of dominant until you get to that six and it balloons that badly. It's like, how does Gunnar Hoagland get to the sixth inning and surpass a hundred pitches with the way he, he pitched for the first four? Uh, I guess that could would transition as well as anything into the next point that, that I texted you about last night, just trying to get a straight answer from you. And we'll play this, we'll play this text thread out in, in live action 
<laughs> you're up Ole Miss and you're up three to one, and there's two guys on the base pass on a Friday night game or any. It was three. It was three to zero, right? Or was it three to one when Hoagland came off? It was three to one. Franklin, the okay. Franklin single scored a run, and that's when they went. To, that's when Mike went to the bullpen. Okay. So, and I get. I, I guess I kind of get some of it a little bit. But what I texted you was, so if you're Ole Miss and you're up three to one, situation aside, assuming everyone's healthy and you're playing one of the best teams in the country. Who's do you, who do you trust most out of the pin? Like, again, situation, matchup aside, who are you selecting out of the bullpen to go bridge the game to Taylor Broadway? Because the, the first question I asked you was who you trust the most, and you said Broadway, and I was like, shit, I left out this qualifier. Not named Broadway because he can't come in at that point. Who are you trusting the most? Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's McDaniel, but here's where I'll – could Broadway not have come in at that point? Because he went 2.2 yesterday. Um, how much are you willing to extend him? Because I think there's an argument he could have come in at that point. That's fair. I think that's a that's a decent alternative. But just consider for a second, maybe you're trying to get Broadway inside the sure. and out range. Okay, fair enough. Yes, okay. I know he's done that before and capable. But who are you selecting out of the bullpen situation aside? It's it's it was McDaniel. Yeah, absolutely. But Jackson Kimbrell comes in, and you're sitting there thinking, okay, he did throw 66 pitches on Tuesday. Maybe, just maybe, he doesn't feel like he still has it, but yet he has it four hours later and comes in in that game. I just don't understand that. I don't understand the use of McDaniel the entire weekend. I know he came in after Doug and he wasn't sharp or whatever, but I still didn't understand that one. And then he finally comes in when Ole Miss is down on five runs on Sunday. He's the third best pitcher on the team, not named Taylor Broadway, because you want Taylor Broadway to end the games. I don't understand why you go to anyone else but him like, the way they've used him the last two weekends doesn't make sense. Like, we, hell, we'll, we'll, we'll get to the swag part of it in a second. But just from this weekend standpoint, I don't understand that. Can you explain it to me? I have no idea. I, I no idea. Because, uh, I mean, at this point, Doug's not injured. Doug can throw 100. He threw 105 pitches yesterday. I mean, you know, you don't need him to piggyback Doug. You got guys that can get it to Broadway. No, I had no idea what Mike was doesn't doing. it feel oh. like those that that you know we talked about so I think some of them I don't mean to criticize Mike. I I'm not afraid to. I, I think that's been well. Oh, so I got a lot for this weekend, but go yeah, ahead. Yeah, I was about to say, but you know, some of his worst habits, I think, as a manager, are when he decides that this is guy's this is this guy's role and this is what he does, and he becomes rigid. And you mentioned that Drew McDaniel doesn't need to be the piggyback guy for Doug now that he's extended out again. I would agree with that, but it almost seems like that first weekend when Doug came back, it worked so well that Mike was like, okay, this is what Drew does, and that's how he's used him every time since, and I would argue that's a very unwise strategy because it doesn't make a ton of logical sense based on all the other situations. Yeah. Uh, what makes the I'll, – I'll stop. But I was going to say what makes the most logical sense is putting him as the starting Sunday pitcher so you don't get down eight to nothing in the second inning. That's another story for another day. Um but, yeah, I, I had no idea what, what he was doing, not using Drew McDaniel there. And, and look, you know, people are, are kind of doing this, well, Drew got lit up both games. It's like, okay, there's 66 pitches Tuesday night. He's a freaking starting pitcher coming back on three days rest, having to throw on Saturday and then having to throw on Sunday. So, yeah, is it possible that, you know, and, and, but here's where Mark, that argument that I'm about to present will go to hell. He pitched in game two. It's like, yeah, is it possible he's not ready to pitch in game one? Sure. You could, if, if he didn't pitch in game two, I would simply say, oh, it's because he threw 66 pitches on Tuesday. He wasn't ready to go. And then my 
faulting would be, why did he throw 66 pitches on Tuesday? But no, dude comes in four hours later, so he's obviously ready to go. So please explain to me why when you needed five outs to bridge this thing to Taylor Broadway, you don't give the ball to your second-best reliever. That makes no sense to me. Uh, yeah, I'll put it to you this way. So Drew McDaniel faced – let me make sure I have this correctly because I don't want to get this wrong. So now I'm doing some frantic clicking, and this is great podcasting. But I want to make sure I have this correct. Drew McDaniel, you would argue, not named Taylor Broadway, is probably the third-best arm on the team. Is that a fair statement? Sure. sure. So he, well, just say just say like this: He's the fourth best arm on the team. Okay, fair. He faced eight, yeah, eight SEC hitters this weekend, this week, and fifteen SWAC hitters. How is that getting the most out of your guy? It's not. It's not. It's stupid. And if they do it, if if he throws a midweek game on Tuesday, I will get arrested. But so even – it was interesting. You know, we did this podcast on Tuesday night as like an emergency segment to talk about the Tim Elko thing. And, you know, we saw the fact that McDaniel was starting. And it was funny. We were doing that podcast as the game was unfolding. And when we saw Drew McDaniel starting, I saw yeah, I told you the, a buddy of mine that listens to this show all the time texted me and was like, has to be a bullpen day, right? And I was like, yeah, sure. Like, that makes sense. Like, I can't think of anything else. I just don't understand that. Why, if, if, if that was actually Mike Bianco's intention to start him and let him be the guy in a two-midweek game week, I, I don't understand how that's defensible. That makes no Not. sense. There's no value you're getting out of that. Every, how many of the 66 pitches he threw against the Alcorn State Braves lineup on Tuesday night added any value to Ole Miss's season or their standing towards trying to win a championship? Zero. Zero. Because if – I don't know who you could have thrown, but you could have thrown anybody. And if you give up four, five runs to Alcorn State, it's going to be okay because you're going to score 12 and you're going to win and it's going to be all right. Why not bullpen day it? If he throws an <laughs> inning and a half, cool. Get him to yeah. 30. If you want a bullpen day it, fine. Why does he go ever go past 30 pitches in any scenario in that game? And we kind of like – let it go at the time because we were more – I think you and I were more perplexed at the idea that Diamond was going to do this thing again. But, like, the, even if he wanted to start Diamond, throwing 66 pitches in the midweek with Drew McDaniel still doesn't make any sense. That doesn't make it make more sense. No, it's still stupid. Real quick, um, let's, let's – I, I, I want to stay with game one, but I'll just ask you. I'll put you on the spot right now. No way he starts in Starball, right? No way, right? There's just no scenario. I don't I – don't, there's no way. I would hope it, not, just for the sake of rational decision making. At this, at this point, at the sake, for the sake of the kid, like he's going to go out and starble and just get assaulted, and then he's done. You could tell today the confidence is deteriorating as well. God. All right. I mean, on game one, yeah. I mean, you don't you don't throw McDaniel, and then look. A lot of a lot's getting made of you know Tyler Myers and Jackson Kimbrell and Austin Miller and, and while, look those guys are not you know your high leverage guys and, and they're not going to be the guys that you call on if if Taylor Broadway's available. Um, frankly, though, if you're going to do this McDaniel thing to Sunday, one of those guys has to be a little bit better. Uh, whether it's Myers, whether it's Miller, whether it's Jackson Kimbrell. Um, frankly, you know, and, and we're talking about the bullpen going off on a little bit of a tangent. Uh, Brad, it was encouraging to see what Braden Forsythe did on Sunday because I think he's a guy that you're going to be able to rely on now. Uh, maybe not rely on, but you're going to be a guy that, that he's going to get high leverage innings now. 
Um, he's going to be in the mix with Myers and, and Austin Miller and Kimbrell, who were in that game on, on Saturday afternoon to try to hold it down, and they weren't able to do it. Um, I'll present something else on that game one. It, it, are you a believer in Josh Mallett's? Because I'm not right now. No, I think he's a midweek guy. I think he can go. Uh, I'm not even sure he's that hard. right now. I mean, he could have beaten Alcorn State, I guess is my point. Well, yeah, but he beat he beat North Alabama the day before. Yeah, he did. No, no, uh, no. Obviously, I don't. I'm not suggesting yeah. pitching him back to back days. I'm just telling <laughs> you that's how I view him right now. Do you remember Greer Holston as a freshman? Where it's sure. like, okay, yeah, this kid was fine in the midweek, but I would never trust him to throw any sort of significant inning on the weekend. That's how I would view Mallets right now. And yet, Mike, like, like you're kind of you got him. That. Mike continues to use him in important spots. He got him in twice this weekend. I was impressed. How in the world you got him in twice? And it's not a knock on that kid, but you're right. No, he'll be fine. I don't, I don't get that either. No, Mallets will be fine. He'll be a fine pitcher before he leaves Ole Miss, but it ain't in 2021. No, it's not. And so then, so I, obviously Arkansas ties it three to three in the sixth. You know, Kimbrell was not very good. Um, and it was a little bit of a, like, I mean, he gets the pass ball. You have a fly out in a single. It wasn't like he just got destroyed, but he also didn't, was not given the opportunity. They go straight to Myers. And like you mentioned, Miller comes in in the seventh. You can't get a zero. He wasn't very good. And then they add two more in the, what, I guess it was the eighth. Yeah, definitely the eighth. And, you know, Mallets comes in after Miller, too. Again, you've had three guys come in not named Drew McDaniel in a game that you led three to nothing in a series that's going to decide the West. It just doesn't make any sense. And, hell, I get trying Miller. I even get trying Myers. Why is Mallets the third guy after that? It's still five to three at that point. Why are you not yeah, the guy that can generate swings and misses? So, me and Mike, I think, agree on this. Um, once I'm down, my, my best guys aren't going to the mound unless it's just a win-or-go-home scenario. Uh, I, I kind of agreed with him on that one. I'm, I'm not, especially when they have, and look, Ole Miss was able to get after cops some this weekend, but especially when they have a dynamite closer at the back. And once I'm down, I'm not going to my best, guys. Okay, and this is a small thing I wrote down, and I don't even know if I'm disagreeing with the point you just made. But with the way Mallets has been used all year, and I know you can't be overly particular, but who was a kid a couple years ago that we were talking about on the podcast who really sucked coming in? with dudes on base. Wasn't it Phillips? Wouldn't Mike have a propensity to bring dudes, yeah. dudes on yeah, base? Yeah, that, that was a thing, yeah. But the way Mallets has been used this year, like Miller gets two flyouts in a row. He gets a full count walk in the eighth when it's still five to three. Even if you want to use Mallets, there is not, they're not someone else that's maybe a little more conducive to inheriting runners. Why not use Wes Burton there? Yeah, it's, it's not a, a guy point. that you're 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 necessarily counting on the rest of the weekend, but it's also a guy that's put up much better numbers than Mallet to that point. I, I'm not necessarily, I'm not necessarily disagreeing with the fact about punting in that situation or not using. It's, it's a cross between. It's it's somewhere in the middle between punting and not going for it, like you're saying. But why does it have to be Mallet? Why could you not give it to someone else that's a little more reliable? Maybe have a better chance at keeping it five three, and who the hell knows. I mean, no, I'm fine with that because, I mean, look, Mike obviously believes in Josh Mallets. I don't, but, you know, glad Mike does. Um, so, I don't know. It's uh, it's kind of that thing, too, right? Like, when, when Diamond just gets assaulted on Sunday, it's like, well, you have two guys that can maybe give you some length in Mallets and McDaniel, but, you know, also both of them pitched yesterday, so they probably can't really give you some length. Um, I was kind of surprised on, and again, we'll get to Sunday when we get there, but I was kind of surprised that, that Wes Burton was not the first guy out of the pen on Sunday. But, you know, uh, 
I don't know. The, the, the middle relief guys were not good on, on the first game on Friday, and that's frankly why Ole Miss lost the first game. I mean, you know, you talk about the offense. Oh, they didn't score much. They, they scored three runs on a Friday guy. Like, you know, that, that should most of the time, that should result in a win. Um, if, if Gunnar Hoagland gets three runs of support, usually he's going to win that baseball game. And, you know, just, just wasn't the case this weekend, especially at home. If he gets three runs of support, he's almost automatic. And then just for whatever reason, it wasn't the case this week. You know, a lot played into that. Middle relief wasn't good. The umpire wasn't absolute uh, – never mind, I can't say that. He was abysmal. I mean, it's – yeah, it's – uh just wasn't a good – just wasn't a good showing on, on Friday – or, I guess, Saturday morning. And look, he, you know, a lot of people made a lot of the offense, the bottom of the order not hitting. It's like, yeah, sure. But, yeah, they're, they're facing – you know, they, they faced a Friday guy, and then their first guy to the pen has been their Saturday guy all year. So, you know, pick your poison there. Right. Like, there is, it's interesting. The offense was very good against Quicklander, but wasn't after that. I mean, hell, I mean, it's a weird – I mean, if, if you're a big box score guy, Ole Miss lost game one, seven to three. Arkansas has seven runs on eight hits, and Ole Miss has three runs on 14 hits. They left 13 guys on the base path. Sure. But like you said, obviously, that's not great. Could they have – you know, they had plenty of chances sure. to kind of either take the lead, retake the lead, or make that a huge – you know, make that a game – late even after Arkansas took the lead and didn't do it. But I also didn't think that was why they lost the game. And you talk about it, bats that changed the game. And it's it, you know, Kevin Graham was great this weekend. Yeah. When it gets back to three three and he strikes out with the bases loaded, that again, we talk about how we're not big momentum guys, but man, you talk about a turning point in that game. The fact that he strikes out and Arkansas puts a zero up after tying it three three, that felt like a backbreaker. Yeah, that was rough. Um, and, you know, uh, Shet, yeah, I think had a big, big at bat with the bases loaded, too. So, yeah, look, obviously there were – you know, I'm not a big key, uh, timely hitting guy. Like, I don't think people try try harder because there's guys in scoring position. But, obviously, look, Ole Miss left a lot of guys on base. I think that's just kind of a coincidental thing, but, you know, teach their own. But, yeah, there, there were a lot of guys on base. But, you know, in saying, you know, hey, there were a lot of guys on base, well, you had to have good at bats and good approaches to get them on base, too. Yeah, absolutely. It's one of those things where, yeah, absolutely, the, them leaving guys on base and not adding on after they score three early runs on Wicklander plays into it. But I, I would argue that the, the the pitching, well, the way the guys pitched out after Hoagland and the way it was managed was a bigger factor in them losing that first game than anything else. Sure. Yeah, offense, I put about fourth on the list of problems in that first game. Yeah, and you could probably even put it even further down when it goes to the weekend because you get to game two. And Doug Nikhazy was really good. The game gets weird after that. But, you know, Ole Miss wins 13-6 to six in, in a game that was really important, right? Because if they lost that second game and you're going to Sunday trying to salvage one, I mean, obviously you saw, I guess, what ended up happening. But you weren't feeling great about that regardless. But, you know, Doug was as good as he's been, you know, kind of all the time. I mean, I guess he wasn't as sharp as he ends up allowing two earned runs, seven hits over five and two-thirds inning. It goes to McDaniel, and he kind of labored as well. Um, I don't know how much to make of that, given what he had to do earlier in the week. But then they got to go to Broadway, and they're like, all right, let's stop screwing around with this, particularly after they had the big uh, – I guess Ole Miss added one in the seventh and uh, five in the eighth. But you, 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 made, you brought it up earlier. So Ole Miss gets up big at the end of that game, and it's like, could you could – you, did Broadway really need to pitch the ninth? So I'll, I'll tell you where I sat on, on Saturday night. I thought, okay, this this is not a horrible decision to leave Broadway in the game. And my rationale was, first, my first rationale was, I saw what happened to Sunday in Baton Rouge. That was my first thing. My second thing was, okay, if this does get screwy, you can't bring Broadway back in. 
And so I'm like, well, you know, it's not an awful decision. Um, after I watched pretty much everybody else pitch on Sunday, I thought it was probably the right decision. Because, <laughs> like, I mean, Arkansas could have put up seven on pretty much anybody out of that pit, not named Taylor, by the way. So I, I was fine with it. And then, you know, it, it was – it was. I, I was saying at the time you probably need to get somebody loose. But Mike probably knew that bullpen that he was going to have to put in there to try to get three outs probably have an issue against Arkansas. So I, I, I struggle some to blame him there um, just because, man – you got to win over a top five team, and all your closures got to do is get three outs. And, and, you know, if you put another guy in, he's got a chance to cause a problem and you lose your closer. I, I do kind of understand that in some vein. Yeah, because I had the same mindset before Ole Miss scored five runs in the bottom of the eighth. They gave up a run in the top of the eighth, if I'm not sure. mistaken. I eight, think six, yeah. Yeah, so Broadway gives up that run. And the, the, the analyst working with Richard Cross is monitoring Broadway's pitch count. Because at that time, what, they went 13-6. to six, I guess at that time it was 8-6. Yeah. And he's monitoring his pitch count being like, you hope to try to get another ending out of him. It's like, bro, as if anyone was ever coming out of the dugout in the ninth inning if that thing stayed 8-6. Like, I appreciate the hustle, but, like, come on. He's sitting there going, I think you could get another inning out of him. It's like, whether you think you can or not, I, I promise Taylor Broadway is walking back out there in the ninth if it's an 8-6 to six game, pal. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Broadway was never not going back out there for the night. Um, and, you know, you can point to today. It's like, oh, he didn't have it. Yeah, he probably didn't. But, you know, y'all saw the rest of that bullpen. Y'all trust them to get three outs? Because I kind of don't. And, you know, Ole Miss gives up the 19 free passes on Sunday. But we talked about how this Arkansas offense kind of hits the ball over the fence. Yeah. But doesn't do a whole lot else well. I thought for the first two games, they were actually pretty phenomenal at the plate. I thought, obviously, Ole Miss was bullpen. Yeah, they were. Good. And maybe the, the way the phrase the question was, how much do you put it on the Ole Miss bullpen? And how much do you put it on Arkansas being better at the plate? Because I definitely think you have to give some credence to that. That lineup has not looked like that the, the pre previous three weekends of SEC play. Um, no, Arkansas was good at the plate this weekend. And, and I didn't really, you know, Alabama for – all intents and purposes, held them down. I mean, they score one run against Alabama on, on a Friday night. They score – I think they did score nine on a Saturday, but they score three against Alabama on Sunday. Um, and you talk about, you know, they score one against uh, Auburn on Friday night, and then they score five and five. I mean, yeah, they lit up Mississippi State. Yeah, they lit up Ole Miss. But, like, I, I, I do I, – I struggle to understand how – I mean, me and you both think that Mississippi State and Ole Miss are top ten teams. I think Ole Miss is a little bit better, but you know that's that could be debated. But how, how do they come into Oxford and Starkville and just light those cities on fire? But they go to Fayetteville, a place that is notorious for the ball flying out against Alabama and Auburn, two teams that I think Alabama makes the tournament and Auburn's going to be horrible um, and don't really have great offensive performance. Like that doesn't make sense in my head. Yeah, I agree. But at the same time, dude, I mean, the first five in their order, you go good, Goodhart, Wallace, Slavens, Franklin, Opitz. Like, that that felt like a very much a murderer's row that has not been most of their year. But the way they hit the ball, again, they got a ton of gimmies on Sunday. I'm really talking about the first two games. And I was like, yeah, Ole Miss has not been great out of the pen. I don't understand the pitching management. But they were certainly better than they have been for the majority of the year, maybe outside that one weekend in Starkville, particularly about two through six in that order. It kind of felt like that – I hate doing this. I'll drop it in the swear jar. But that's super, where it's like, holy hell, where are the outs in this lineup? 
And it's not the same guys. And they're not as talented as that team was. But for two games, it felt that way. Yeah. I, well, yeah. I mean, it was it was not – it was a nightmare. Um, so, I mean, Arkansas, man, just the – I got really frustrated with some Ole Miss pitching um, because they did not do their job in two, in two strike counts. But in the same breath, you have to give – Give a lot of credit to Arkansas. They didn't give it bats away, man. Like they get down 0-2. Next thing you know, it's 4-2, and those guys are walking, or those guys are punching a hit to the right side. It's like, man, they do not give it bats away. They do not give up on it bats. And that's that's a sign of a good team. Now, look, and saying that Ole Miss was pretty pretty pedestrian throughout the entire weekend when they got the two strike counts and they, frankly, Ole Miss struggled getting ahead in counts to me. And, and look, I'll have to go check this because I can't necessarily say it's hundred percent factual, but it felt like all weekend like Ole Miss could not get 0-1 on Arkansas. They would either fall behind 1-0 or any fastball if they trot over the plate to try to get ahead 1-0 or 0-1, Arkansas would hit into the right center field gap. Um, so it just it just kind of felt like for whatever reason Ole Miss could not get ahead in the count in the count all weekend. Yeah, and I don't have any factual basis to back this up either, but they hit three guys this weekend. I swear to God, all of them were 0-2 or 1-2 at best. <laughs> it felt it like that. Every but single one. I can remember one that was 0-0. It was uh, when Forsythe came into the game. The first pitch was off a dude's elbow. Yeah, and it just it, – it even felt – I mean, there was a crucial one later in the Sunday game, and God forbid, I, I, can't try, I can't try to keep up with that Sunday game. But if you want to – before we get to that, if you want to try to get to some positive for Ole Miss, particularly on, on the Saturday, I mean, you know, you're down your best guy. You finally put up three dudes on, on someone's Friday night guy in the second game. That offense kind of takes it out of your bullpen's ineptitude. Like, they kind of it, – it kind of renders that moot with the five-run eighth inning that I thought was – was pretty huge. He starts off with the Kevin Graham single, Hayden Dunhurst triple. I mean, Hayden Dunhurst through the first two games of that seat of that, that series, he went what five was, for five, was, and then two for five. I mean, he got retired three times in eight in ten at bats. That seems pretty good. Yeah, yeah, he was he was six for six at one point because um, he went five for five and then got the RBI single to at the bottom of the first inning. Yeah, he was really good. Um, but, you know, he's not the story of the weekend for me. And I think there's there's a guy that um, – and it may have been quietly, uh, but uh, let me look this up. Hayden Leatherwood this weekend went oh, I five. Got That's where I was going. I got this yeah. if you want it. Uh, 623, 667, 161667. He's seeing the ball well. Um, With a gigantic home run in the second or third, whenever I guess it was the third inning, the three-run home run, because Ole Miss gets up two to nothing early, right? And particularly after watching that first game, it was like, okay, you've kind of seen this movie before. But when he hit that ball over the right field fence over a fastball that would – didn't catch a ton of the plate. He kind of had to swat at that thing over the outer half. And that I thought that showed a ton of strength. I thought that was one of his better at-bats of the year. And I thought that was a huge spot to where Ole Miss to get up 5 nothing after 3. Yeah. No, he was awesome this weekend when you talk about him. I mean, it's – you know, he starts Sunday and has two hits, I believe, on Sunday against a left-handed starter. I mean, it's a big deal. Because, um, frankly, I mean, if you talk about a Hayden Leatherwood and if you're like, all right, well, if you lose Elko – um, who's going to come on? And it's that guy. Like, if you talk about a Hayden Leatherwood being able to replace a Tim Elko, I think he's the guy that if you look at it from a production standpoint, obviously you hope Graham and, uh, you know, first those guys raise their game and be able to contribute. But, like, when you're just talking about a guy that was basically contributing very, very little uh, when Elko wasn't there uh, to, to become a guy that, you know, could give you a good bit more, I think that's the guy you look at, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, particularly 
given what the other two options did this weekend, I say options, but other two guys that are getting major at-bats in Kale Baker and Ben Van Cleve. And I know Van hey. Cleve's a big hit late in this game, but I, the Sunday game, I should say. But, like, given the other two options, I mean, here, I'll give you I'll give you, I'll give you Hayden Leatherwood's last five games. I guess I'll go six games because he technically played a, a, against North Alabama. But he gets a hit in the Friday game, the game one against Florida, gets a hit in game two, does not get a hit in game three, but he only won at bat. And I'm pretty sure he didn't start. Jack or something. It was a pinch hit. He didn't start, yeah. You know, midweek aside, you're kind of interested in what he does in SEC play. And this weekend he goes, what, one? He didn't start on – game one right and he, but he gets a hit off the bench and yeah. then has two hits in the last two games that's five consequential games in a row where he's absolutely been a factor offensively that's a good sign yeah. yes that is absolutely a good sign I mean it's that that is that's the guy that if look you're going to even get close to being able to replace some Tim Elko level production that's the guy that has to come on for Ole Miss so you know him having a good week and look there Look, this series sucks if you're an Ole Miss fan. It's like, yeah, you lost the series. There were absolutely some positives this weekend. I mean, when you talk about him, him playing well, you talk about a, a Wes Burton coming in and pitching well, you talk about a Braden Forsythe pitching well. Uh, there were some positives this weekend that, that you should be able to take from the weekend, even though, look, I mean, you know, it's it's tough when you talk about this team, right, because they lost two series in a row. But you have to remember they're eight and four in the SEC, and frankly, anybody, including Mike Bianco, would have taken eight and four in the league if you'd offered it to him before the year. Sure. And before we get to what's not so great offensively for Ole Miss, <laughs> one of the things that we talked about uh, before when trying to replace Tim Elko is everyone else in being in the lineup being more consistent and being less of a hole one through eight. You know, not not kind of having automatic outs. And outside of the main two culprits, the guys that you you know, I think one of the lines I used was Justin Bench can't have three games where he goes hitless again and is not a factor. Yeah. So, you know, Gonzalez, as unfair as it may seem, needs to be more consistent. Chatney needs to continue what he's doing, and Graham needs to be as good as advertised. That happened this weekend, dude. Absolutely. Two for five, three for five, three for four. Gonzalez, two for four, two for five, one for six. Chatney, one for four, three for five, three for six. Graham, two for five, one for three with a walk, two for five with a huge home run. Hayden Dunhurst. Five for five, two for five, and I think that says one for five, but I have serial killer handwriting. Point being, they were not non-factors in any of those games. And those those four names, or I guess that's technically five names, that's now the meat of your lineup. And they need to be better collectively to help replace Elko. And they absolutely did that. It was I guess that kind of really sheds the spotlight more on the pitching and how it led Ole Miss down this weekend because the lineup was fine. Absolutely. Offense, I mean, I mean, at the end of the day, man, you scored 27, 30 runs. You average 10 runs a game. You should win that series, and you don't. Um, and you, frankly, you average 10 runs a game, and you got beat by four twice. Like, that, that's problematic. But, you know, it, it just is what it is, man. I, I think, I, you know, it's funny when you talk about this offense, right? It's like, yes, they played extremely well. But I think if Tim Elko's in there, they probably win the series because he probably hits a ball in the stands at some point, whether that's Saturday afternoon or during the game on Sunday. You have to pitch it a little bit differently. And obviously, look, I mean, you lose one of the best players in the country, and he is one of the best players in the country. It's going to hurt your offense. But, um, you know, to be able to put up 30 runs, is I think that's the most they've scored in any weekend this year, frankly. Um, I have to check that, but I'm pretty sure that's right. Um, well. No, that's right, because I was going to say they scored 19 against Auburn, but 
they, they didn't score really. They scored six and one in the others. Um, so uh, it's uh, this offense has given zero reason for concern. I think they're going to continue to hit and, and hit well. It's just, man, are they going to be able to find some pitching at the back end of that bullpen that can, be fine, that can really help them? Which is weird because you thought that would be the strength of the team going into the season. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, it's – look, I think I think it's probably safe to assume that Drew McDaniel is going to start on Sunday in Starkville. Um, frankly, I can see a scenario where Derek Diamond goes to the bullpen and is extremely helpful. Um, I can see a scenario where Braden Forsythe is extremely helpful out of the bullpen. I think Tyler Myers and, and Austin Miller can get outs at this level. I think past about that, you're playing with fire. Yeah, not to toot my own horn or take a victory lap at all, but, I mean, I talked about the foresight thing before on the preview show, and it would have been easier if he had put up that zero and Ole Miss goes on to win the game. Sure. Talk about the unsung hero, but he, he's I – mean, if you want to declare someone back, he, he looked really good. How he looked a hell of a lot better than most of those dudes they ran out there this weekend, which I think helps. And Richard Cross alluded to that on the broadcast too. He said – you know, he's a guy that they can't like they need to be good and I thought that was important as well one other thing I point out I know we're bouncing around but TJ McCants didn't have a gigantic impact this weekend but the guys continuing to hit an assistant a consistent rate I should say sure. it's not easy to do as freshmen in this league and Gonzalez did the same thing and they're going to continue to need that and I don't know I guess with as couple holes as Ole Miss has on the back side of this lineup can you imagine if T.J. McCants was not cutting it at the plate and that's just another problem we're dealing with? His consistently, his consistency at which he's hitting the ball has uh, alleviated another problem for Ole Miss because that was not exactly a guarantee when he became the everyday center fielder. He went – the last game he's gone hitless was game one against Florida, which is six games ago at this point. And before that, the last time he'd gone back-to-back games without, without a hit was – against Central Arkansas in a game I don't think he started, and then game one against Alabama. Like, that's well, eight, nine games in a row where he's, he's putting something together at the plate. I don't think that should be underscored because it is still very difficult to hit as a freshman in this league. Absolutely. And at some point in this league, I figure he's going to struggle. But when you look at a guy like T.J. McCants, he's a guy that's going to perform well for you for three years. And um, I think by the time he leaves Ole Miss, he's going to be a guy that can hit for a good bit of power. Um, so – yeah, it's 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 extremely impressive that they're able to move TJ into the nine hole and he's going to be able to continue to hit. Um, but you're right. I mean, that's a that's a deal where you know you didn't know what you and and frankly, look, let's be honest here. Now, Ole Miss is out. What two guys that if I had asked you on December the thirty first, what who's going to be in their starting lineup? Two of those guys are gone because Jerion Ely. Uh, is their starting center fielder if he doesn't get hurt in football. Well, I don't know when he got hurt in football. You get the point. Um, Off-season surgery okay. on the shoulder, yeah. Sure, sure. I mean, they're they're down two starters from what you thought would be their starting nine. And obviously, man, at some point that's going to hurt you. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, particularly the Elko part. Because, I mean, Ely, as good as he might be, was – you know, you could argue was a little bit more malleable in terms of like someone in finding his replacement was a little bit more malleable. You could do it with a couple of different guys to where, you know, Elko, it's like, geez, this sucks. Like there's just not a whole lot you could do with that. Before we get to the, uh, to the clown show that was game three, <laughs> do you have any more all encompassing thoughts? You know, I didn't, again, I don't understand McDaniel kind of being the, the Nikhazy piggyback when you don't necessarily need it. 
But outside of that, I didn't really have any major gripes at the pitching. And Ole Miss was really good and pretty resilient at the plate against some pretty good pitchers. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I thought Saturday was – or Saturday night was, was a really well-played game by Ole Miss. I didn't – you know, it was just a baseball game that won. I thought, you know, having to use Broadway for 2.2 wasn't great. But, you know, that's what kind of happens when uh, Doug's not able to get extended and then you throw the McDaniel 66 pitches on Tuesday against South Florida State. Which is it's the biggest probably – I mean, you talk about criticizing Mike and the moves he makes. That's probably the most inexcusable thing that happened this week. I just – particularly – and we'll just go right to it. We Ole Miss goes to Sunday and, you know, hell, I mean, I, I, I watched 89 to 90% of this game. I don't know where I got 89 from. I was about to say 90 to 100. <laughs> I got caught in between two numbers. Point being, I was still in my hoop session when this thing uh, first pitched, but I had it on the radio on the way back. But, hell – by the time I got within a mile of my apartment, Ole Miss is already down a couple runs. And then they gave up the three-run bomb. And that's probably as big a conversation as anything that ties in with McDaniel and why he's used and the inefficiency in which he's used. You know, for, forget we'll go, to, we'll go to Diamond in just a second. But forget him for a second. McDaniel starting on Sundays or being their third guy – like kind of, this sounds stupid, but kind of takes some confusion from Mike's brain because it's very clearly at this point, <laughs> it's clear to me he he struggles to figure out what to exactly do with McDaniel. I mean, how many roles has that guy played this year to where I feel like if he's the starter, okay, that's what he is. Mike loves him some roles. Derek Diamond's role in the bullpen is a little bit easier to forecast and a little bit easier to mold to where it's like, Mike's not getting value out of one of his better assets just for the lack of uh, a lack of knowledge or lack of comfortability in how to use him. I feel like that could make his life easier just by being him a starter. Does that make any sense at all? No, that does. I mean, you you, you don't use him on the Friday or the – I keep getting confused. You don't use him game one um, when you probably needed to. And then, you know, so makes it a lot easier when you just say, hey, on Sunday we're going to give you the ball and you're going to start. Tough situation for, for you know, and look, I, I fully – I, I, last week, I did not expect Drew McDaniel to get the ball on Sunday. Um, I do if, – if, let's put it this way. If you had to bet $500, who starts for Ole Miss on Sunday in Starville? I think he's had to learn at this point. I mean, I, I would bet – I get what you're getting at. I would bet Drew McDaniel. But okay. I, dude, I might have bet 200 this past weekend. It just yeah. – coming out of the Florida series, it seems so obvious. And – you know, I said that. You said gut feeling, what does he do? And I was like, I think he does that. I think you want your three best guys out there. He didn't do that. Okay, fine, that's what he believes. But why why, why waste 66 pitches on the midweek against the SWAC school? Even that's if not gonna use that's my larger issue. It's like, okay, first off, if you want to believe in Derek Diamond, I really don't right now. Um, for his future to be determined. But as of right now, I don't believe he's the guy that Ole Miss needs to have on the field on Sunday. If you're going to say, all right, I'm going to leave this guy on Sunday, don't you have to have his backup plan like fully rested and ready to go instead of, you know, throwing him against the Braves? Um, and it wasn't the Atlanta Braves. You know, it's – I don't know. It's – thank you. So, I, I do think Drew McDaniel starts on Sunday. But I guess my point was it's a hell of a place for you to get your – uh, well, I guess he did start against Auburn, but I was going to say it's a hell of a place to get your SEC beak wet. It's the first. It's a hell of a place to where like to start your new job because his job was a <laughs> fill-in role against Auburn, and now his job is to be the Sunday guy, presumably. Uh, but the, let's shift the conversation to Diamond a little bit. Obviously, he gets four outs, 
He lost five earned runs, five hits, three walks. The command's not there, and maybe I just answered my own question. But, man, you know, he gives up the two spot in the first. No, no, no. No, he he didn't give up any in the first. Excuse me. It's a – sorry, I I got that wrong. It's all five in the second. He gives up the two runs. And then I felt like it was kind of clearing out for him a little bit. But, man, and maybe I answered my own question here. But, hell, how many times, dude, has – have you thought, okay, you know, if he can just make a pitch and get out of here and strand these guys, he'll be okay. And the worst case scenario happens. And what I mean by that is someone hits it over the fence. How many crushing home runs has he given up in his starts? To where just a nail in the coffin. Yeah. yeah what I do you mean, think you that stems from, I guess? That was a terrible way to ask that. I have no idea, but it, it's happened two weeks in a row where, you know, you give up the three-run homer in the second. It's like, all right, that's already bad enough. But, you know, you get the strikeout, and it's like, all right, well, maybe he can get – nope. They just hit another tank. Um, so, you know, real, really tough. Um, you know, and that happened against Florida, right, where almost finally fights back and, you know, gets within one run and he either walks or hits the next guy out of the bullpen and or out of the dugout. And the next guy hits the ball into oblivion. I mean, it just just absolutely infuriating. I don't know what it stems from. It maybe stems from him, it, frank, frankly, that right now he's not good enough. Um, so, I mean, it's – I don't really have a lot to say about Diamond. Like, I, I watched him, and he wasn't good. But, like, frankly, I knew he wasn't good. I watched last uh, I watched last Saturday against Florida. I watched the Saturday against Alabama where, yeah, you can tell me that bullshit about he got a quality start where he gave it six innings and gave up three earned runs. But I saw them knock him all over the park. Um, you know, Auburn's so, only 1-11. Yeah, Auburn's 1-11 at this point. Like, don't tell me about their offense. I saw ULM. I saw Belmont. I saw UCF. Yeah, he was really good against Texas. Sure. Um, that's about, that's about it. Two like, months ago at this point. Yeah, we, we're, we're talking about Kel Baker living off one weekend at this point. Like, is Derek Diamond still living off one weekend? Because, frankly, past that and, I guess, an Auburn, series, an Auburn game against, a, again, a 111 SEC team, um, he has not been good. Frankly, he's not been average. Um, he's pitched Ole Miss out of games. If this this weekend does not force Mike Bianco's hand in making a move, then, frankly, Derek Diamond has the most job stability of any human being in the country. Yeah, you start wondering what he has on his head coach. And I set that up totally off the top. He does – obviously, he gets the zero in the first. But this is – I guess this was, this was my first inning in terms of me missing the first sure. session of all his life, not, not apologizing about it. But he gives, he gives the walk, the open single, Smith home runs. Smith hits the home run. I guess what I was kind of getting at was, okay, he gives up the three-run home run. Three runs is probably not winning this Sunday game. No. Settle down and get it back through. But he's ahead in the count one and two and gives up another single. And then he's ahead in the count and gives up the two-run home run. I guess that's what I was kind of getting at is, like, he's not helping himself. He's getting into it. His last two home runs came in in pitcher's counts. And to me, that's just – maybe it's confidence, but I don't know if there's a clearer sign of a lack of command and letting things slip in a hitter's count like that. I mean, I would love – I'm too lazy to look this up, but out of all the home runs he's given up this year, how many of those you figure has gone in hitters' counts? Maybe that's what I'm trying to get at, just wasn't smart enough to do it off the top. <laughs> I'm not sure, but it, it today, frankly, it felt like all, uh, Arkansas just dominated in hitters' counts, and, you know, that's not supposed to happen, I guess. You know, obviously, when you're throwing the bottom, bottom of your bullpen, I guess that's what can happen. But, you know, just – I don't know. I, I, I'll be honest. I, what happened today was not a shock for me. I, I did not think Derek Diamond would be, be a good matchup against this team. Uh, when you talk about a team that, frankly, has, has a really good play, uh, play discipline, 
um, or they had it this weekend for sure. And a guy that, you know, has a time struggle with command this year. Um, I, I did not think this was a good matchup. And frankly, I mean, Derek, Derek's just not been good for a while now. Um, so, you know, something's got to change there. Uh, you you can't pitch your team out of the ball game, and I guess in fairness, you know that he didn't pitch them out of the ball game. They 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 were good enough. His offense was good enough to erase. This is this is a, this is crazy to me. That dude didn't get the loss today. I don't know who did. I guess Forsythe did. He didn't get the loss today, and he was you know when he left the mound. I guess when he stopped giving up runs, he'd given up five runs in two innings, um, and you know just gotten four outs. It's it's kind of crazy that. He didn't get the loss, but you know, it did. He essentially pitched Ole Miss out of the ball game, outside of for you know a miracle comeback by this offense. Sure, because two innings later, you talk about the back-breaking home run. You know, Ole Miss gives up the another run at six nothing. You know, I think a walk made it seven to nothing, something like that. I mean, no, it was a sack fly, excuse me, which I think was the second out of the inning, and it's like okay, seven nothing. This is not great, but they could get out of this and be okay. And then Goodhart gets the single and it's eight nothing. It's like, okay, this is probably toast. But at the same time, you know, Wes Burton comes in and all he needs to get is one out and he lets the guy hit a tank and then at eleven nothing, you're like, okay, so we'll see what's going on at Augusta here. Like it's just a lot of inopportune home runs. I mean, talk about the amount of guys straighted on base. Arkansas had a bunch of hits with two outs that just seemed like backbreakers. And, you know, at eleven to nothing when Wallace hit that home run to left field, it's like, okay, that probably didn't matter. But if there was any, any doubt that sealed it, well, hell yeah, it ended up mattering a ton. <laughs> I'll be honest. Um, I never thought Ole Miss was out of the baseball game until Peyton Chetney stuck. And I know that sounds like, oh, you're kidding. I I just kind of saw the swings in the first two innings, and I realized that they're going to score today. And I knew Arkansas's middle relief was terrible. Um, I knew they would score. I didn't know if they'd ever get to 11. I knew they could get to seven or eight. And if they could get to seven or eight, well, now you're making a swing. And, you know, credit Wes Burton, credit, credit Braden Forsyth um, for getting getting a few zeros and giving that offense an opportunity today. I mean, the offense was on fire. And, and those guys, you know, from a pitching standpoint, were pretty much the only positives today. I could walk down that road with you all the way until the Wallace home run that made it 11 nothing. No, I, I have uh, actual proof I sent in a group message of if they can keep them at 11, they can come back. I, I, oh, I, I believe can. you. I just don't <laughs> – I did not join in that belief. <laughs> I, I could provide documentation. But my, as my friend said, and they were obviously right, it's like I kind of am with you, but, like, they can't hold them at 11. I'm like, yeah, you're right. I know the umpire show really kind of took control of this Sunday game. But, you know, you talk about the mismanagement of this pitching and the lack of a plan. When Do you, you, know, you mentioned earlier when talking about Drew McDaniel, Diamond was not a surprise to me either. It was just kind of, can this guy get through four before things get squirrely and kind of give Ole Miss something, which is kind of a wild place to be considering what you thought this guy was, you know, a year ago or even two months ago when you left Arlington. But it was like, can this guy give them something and just not put them in an early hole? And, of course, that happens really quickly. And you talk about having his backup plan completely ready as best you can. I know things happen. I know things happen through the first two games, and you have to adjust accordingly. But when your backup plan ends up being Josh Mallets, it's like for the second time in a weekend, if I'm not mistaken, it's like that, that, that's mismanagement, in my opinion. You could have to come up with something better than that. No, I'm fine with that. Um, you know, it's – 
I don't know. You you would think that you know that at this point Ole Miss would have, would have better bullpen roles defined, but they don't. And now, I mean, you're going to have to completely restructure your bullpen, right? Because you're just going to have a – now, look, you know, I've crapped on Derek Diamond for a while now. Um, Ole Miss does need him out of the bullpen. Like, he can't be a guy they just throw away. Um, they, they, they are going to need this guy. They're going to need this guy to throw high leverage innings at some point this year. doesn't need to be in a starter's role because I don't think he can get through a lineup one time, much, much less two. Um, so it's going, he's going to be a guy that can, you know, give you one high leverage inning and, and give it to Broadway. Like, right, I think, you know, looking back, maybe Diamond's the guy that when Hoagland goes 5.1, you can ask him, hey, can you give me five outs and then give it to Broadway? Like, maybe he's that guy instead of, you know, where, whereas you wanted to use Drew McDaniel as the guy that goes three innings. Um, I think Diamond is more suited for that role um, of being able to give you a short burst to be able to hand it to Broadway. Sure, we've already talked about this before. It's the bridge guy we were talking about to where, okay, McDaniel, I guess, can play that role, but he that's not getting the utmost value out of him. To where Diamond, particularly only having to see a couple of batters, that velocity uptick makes a big difference to where when you get to the third or fourth inning, it's not the same. Because at the few times he's gotten later in games, it falls off pretty quickly. But I guess my point, I mean, how Diamond and, and McDaniel aside, when he does stink, and you talk about, I get it, McDaniel's already pitched. You don't have the original backup plan. But I, I know Forsythe's kind of a new thing to where it's like, okay, you're kind of trusting him and bringing him back easily. But where is – like, who is Wes Burton kill, killed and where is that body buried? Because the run he gave up today was the first run he'd given up since March 7th. And I know it's yeah. not always great competition, but there are two SEC appearances in there. Why is that Mallets instead of a Wes Burton? Why is it Mallets for the second time in a weekend when it's only five to nothing instead of Wes Burton? No, I'm fine with that. I mean, I, I think it's – I think, frankly, at this point, not giving the innings that you give to Josh Mallets to Wes Burton or Braden Forsythe is criminal. Um, and I, those guys – any sense in the first place. I get that, but, that Forsythe sucked for a month, but you've kind of seen with the eye test what Mallets is to this point. It's not a knock on him. He's a young kid. But when, when did that move ever make sense? Let me present an idea. And, and I, I'm not saying that you, you – know, look, I don't think Mike has roles for his bullpens per se. Like, I don't think he's going to say, oh, Taylor Broadway is going to be the guy and all he's going to do is pitch the eighth of the night. I think there's a world now that Braden Forsyth might be back where he's comfortable letting him close out games and going to Broadway just to maybe a little bit earlier. Or vice versa. Sure, sure. Sure. Because that's a kid, you know, when, you, when we talked about where he struggled and we banished him to the midweek and then promoted him to the big kid's table back, uh, which is looking to really pay off because he was good again, it, it's the stuff and the velocity and be able to come in in high leverage situations and the swing and miss stuff is why you couldn't cast that kid off. I guess my thing with bringing in Broadway is that, like, there may be a situation where he doesn't need a closer. Like, he can just close it himself, but you have him there as a backup plan, whereas if you bring in Forsythe, he's going to need a closer. That's a good point. But so uh, kind of look at this game in totality. Ole Miss gets down to 11 to nothing. They put up the five runs. You know, Bench hits that huge home run, the three-run shot that gets all – I mean, as, with as many runners as Ole Miss stranded throughout the weekend, having Bench clear the bases and make that 11 to five was, was huge, and he knocked the hell out of that ball. And at that point, it's kind of like, okay, maybe they're back in this thing. And I mean, for the love of God, the dudes could just not get zeros up. I mean, it just couldn't happen, right? You get down 11 nothing, you you get the five spot, 
to their credit, they do put up two more zeros, get it to 11-6, then they give up three, and they score five, then they got three more, or score, excuse me, score three more and tie it at 14, then they give up three more and another one. It just, it just felt like they couldn't get out consistently enough, and I know I'm stating the obvious there, but like, Hell, at a certain point, if you're down 11 and nothing and you score 14 runs, you better win that son of a gun. Yeah. Um, that's what happens when you don't have any pitching left because, you know, just is what it is. Um, Are you saying uh, you did I, not like Luke Baker's chances in the ninth to keep that thing at three runs? No. Me neither. No. I, I thought Lafferty did a good job, frankly, with what he had to work with. That's the one thing that maybe made me a little – like, what are we doing? If Tyler Myers was available, why did you bring Luke Baker in? Right. Also, also, I have a conspiracy. Mike was still Mike calling the shots. I, I have that conspiracy. Why? I don't know. I just, you know, we're doing stuff on walkie-talkies now. You don't, you don't think Mike still had his walkie-talkie and, and it could reach Dunhurst? Okay, speaking of, you know who used a walkie-talkie much cooler? <laughs> Laugh. Yes. <laughs> got it held up towards the top, like I might turn this sideways and put a cap in you type of thing. Mike uses that deal like a narc, and I thought Lafferty was a prime example of the many cool ways to use a microphone. Or excuse me, walkie-talkie. But be that oh, as you may. So, yeah, I so mean, I'm sitting uh, down the first baseline today, like in the box seats and with my sister, and, like, I see Mike just, like, because I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm, like, pissed off and not really paying attention. And I see Mike just losing it on the umpire. And I'm like, ah, he got ran. And so all of a sudden, you know, we're almost in the field. And it's, it's time to call the next pitch. And Laugh is down in the bullpen. <laughs> and I see Laugh just on a dead sprint from the bullpen into the dugout because my man realized, oh, God, there's no one in there to call a pitch. Yeah, so let's get to that. And I'll go ahead and let you tee the guy up for, for however long you want to tee him up while recognizing that you do have a day job to keep. But it gets to 11 to 5. Mike gets tossed in the fifth. I missed this. I texted you this. So it gets 11 to 5, and Ole Miss gets Arkansas out in the bottom of the fourth, I guess. No, excuse me. It's 11 5. Ole Miss gets Arkansas out. So this had to happen in the fourth, right? This is this. No, this happened in the fifth. It was top of the fifth while Arkansas was hitting. Yes, because I, I, I saw the run. But Mike gets tossed. And I'd flip to the Masters for two seconds. And I've been waiting for the entire time I've covered Ole Miss baseball for Mike to get tossed out of a game. One, so I didn't have to deal with him after the game. But two, just to be able to ask about it and kind of really really give him one in the ribs, for the lack of a better phrase. And all of a sudden, for the first time in over a decade, he gets tossed from the game. And it happens to be the nine minutes I had the TV on CBS. What is that about? I think uh, – so I recall Mike getting run. The last time I recall him getting run was a game against UCF in 2014. Um, that's the last time I can remember. But, anyways, he used to get run, like, real quick. He used to get run with, like, a little more frequency back when it, back in his younger days, like pre-2010. He fine. He's told, he's told us that. Is, that. is that what it is? He, he despises the fine. Okay. Well, uh, so let's, let's be very clear. This is a man – like, like, you know, I've said with Gunner, who doesn't get pissed, this is a man that, A, thinks that he needs – and, look, I, I kind of agree with him in this. Like, he hurts his team getting ejected because he does call pitches. That's a big deal. And I think – frankly, I think he does a good job calling pitches. Um, that's not sarcasm. I really do actually think Mike does a really good job with pitch calling. He's a catcher. Um, Hell, yeah. So, he – and he's a guy that doesn't like paying the fine. And he got ran today in the fifth inning. 
like, don't tell me the umpire wasn't absolutely atrocious because <laughs> because Mike had and, and frankly he had gotten warned in the fourth inning because dude was so bad and he got warned and then dude like and Mike won't shut up so dude like trying to kind of like warned him again and it was like all right fine I'll shut up and then you could tell like there was a pitch that was on the outside corner that that was just it was clearly a strike I mean it was zero doubt about it and Mike I can't I wasn't close enough to hear what he said, but whatever it was, was enough to get him ran. <laughs> and then it's, it's like this thing where Mike comes out of the dugout and all right, I'm already ejected. So you've lost all leverage. So he's losing his mind. And, and I'll be honest, this is my pet peeve. I despise this. The first base umpire waddles his ass up there and gets in Mike's way. And, and, and he's like, no, you're not going to yell at my guy. No, screw you. Your guy screwed up. I'm going to get a piece of him, and you're going to take it. And so Mike, like, keeps trying to avoid this guy and is, like, in the other guy's face, just giving him crap, as he should. So, and, I mean, you know, obviously gets run and then laugh, calls pitches, and Clem calls the offense for the rest of the game. I think there was part of it where it's like, all right, I'm trying to fire my team up that can be down 11 to, you know, five and come back. Um, and part of it was, you know, I don't necessarily think it was too much of that. I think that played a role in it, but I think dude had just had a, had enough of this umpire that was just absolute garbage. The whole look, crew for two days, like you mentioned earlier in the show, that that had been stewing for two days. Yes, yes. The guy on Saturday night. Excuse me. Yes. Yeah, the guy on Saturday night was not atrocious. He was fine. Um, you know, and look, I know that's obvious for me to say. It's like, yeah, the guy that umpired Omez's win is was great. The other two sucked. Like, no, I I, I'm, I understand how that looks, but when. We, we got into, like, why the guy that umpired Gunnar Hoagland's game sucked. Like, Gunnar Hoagland doesn't walk people, and he walks people. Mike Bianco doesn't get ejected, and he got ejected. Like, there, there are mitigating circumstances here. And, you know, so that really does annoy me, though. I and mean, this is just a baseball thing. When the other umpire, like, tries to get in the way and, like, defend his boy, it's like, no, your boy's a screw-up. Shut up and get out of my way. That, that is one of my biggest pet peeves of baseball umpires. Of course, the first thing I did after just stewing over missing this was click the replay. And it was the biggest kind of wuss ejection of all time because after Mike yelling at him, the home plate umpire had nothing to do with it. So he didn't even wait until – I don't know if you noticed this. He didn't wait until Mike got all the way out there to toss him. Mike took two steps and started waddling out of the dugout, which I've seen that man coming at me to the umpire's defense. I don't want any part of that, but it's actually – No, no, people, people don't understand. He, he tossed him that before he got out to dessert. He gets out that dugout real quick. Yes, he does. <laughs> yes, he does. It, 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 is, it, is, it is with a quickness my man exits the dugout. So, if you want to say something nice about the umpire, his trigger on the toss sign was pretty quick because Mike did not get the – he did not get out to the home plate dirt or even halfway there before he was tossed. Like he took two steps out and the guy was like, no, thank you, and just tossed him. I want none of this. But, uh, you know, you bring that up and – I, again, you can we can argue what effect it had on the game. Ole Miss did have 19 free free passes in this game as a whole, umpire aside. But like, you know, if Gunnar Hoagland is throwing 109 pitches after the way he looked for four and a half innings, and get and that ends up happening to him, and Mike Bianco for the first time in a decade gets tossed, like obviously things things were not well behind home plate. No, it was an absolute car crash behind home plate. I did. I don't know how umpiring officiating, like how it's assigned. I'm betting that crew doesn't show up to many more Ole Miss games. Frankly, there was a point in the seventh inning where 
you know how like most people have empathy, right? Like when the umpire takes a foul ball directly off his arm and he like goes down in pain and people are like, Oh man, I hope he feels good. No, like the fans are booing. That's how pissed they are. They, they don't care that you got hit. They, they really don't like, like that's how pissed off people were. Yeah. And it, it didn't stop after that. I mean, they, how you, they were big at bats in the seventh and eighth inning after Ole Miss had crawled back in this game, they put the five spot up in the sixth. And then they tied at 14 in the seventh. And there's a couple of those at-bats in both the seventh and the eighth inning where you can see Lafferty audibly saying multiple times, that's terrible. And, like, of course, Laff is not trying to get run. And if he's even taking the risk to yell at that guy or kind of let him know what he thinks, it's got to be bad. Because what in the hell are you doing if Lafferty gets tossed? He knows better than to do that. But it was so bad. So, have you – so, you've been around Clement enough, right? Like, you kind of know Clement's demeanor. Um. Clement Clems is like legitimately just kind of laid back, right? Like he's it's just a little chilling. bit of laughs demeanor too. Yeah, but I think Clem's even a little bit more laid back. And I thought Clem was about to get run today because I don't know if you noticed when Kale Baker got pinch hit for by Calvin Harris, there was a ball. They lost track of the balls. It was yeah, they a almost didn't let him go to first base. And Clem was Clem was about to get run. If they had not let him walk, that man would have come like they might still be out there love Richard crossed to death and I thought this was a power move and you know the the umpiring was so bad that Calvin Harris was confused because if you notice he didn't actually was it Baker I think it was Harris it happened to it was was Harris Baker took the first ball they pinch it Harris and then he takes three straight balls right and so he takes three straight balls and I get it Harris is a little confused because even though he knows he's going into a one count just naturally as a baseball player he didn't you know he gets thrown three balls and he's thinking it's a three ball count. So he doesn't run down there. So I guess that doesn't help. But Richard Cross just immediately on television, he said it's ball four. And then he gets back in the batter's box and the color commentator was like, maybe it was ball three. And Richard just goes, no, no, no. They're going to figure this out eventually. Like pretty much just being like the guys down there are idiots, but I bet they get this one. He says that, but like that took way too long to let him walk. Oh, agree. I agree. I'm not sticking up for the guy. I just thought Richard just being like, no, no, no. Surely they can't screw this up, too, was classic. We were dangerously close for my, to my man having to take a ball five. Uh, yes. Like, dangerously close. <laughs> so, that, yeah, so that happens. Ole Miss gets back in the game, and, you know, I, things don't go well for them late. So they tie it up at 14. At that point, I'm like, holy hell. And my dad's texting me like – you know, this is one of the wildest games I remember. And I was like, well, why was there when LSU hit four straight bombs on Parker Caracci with two outs in the ninth inning? But I will put this in the same league. Yeah. But, I mean, Ole Miss, man, you talk about the resilience. If you want to get a positive, you talk about the sure. resiliency of this group. I mean, hell, at a, at a certain point, it's 14-6 to six in the sixth inning. The game's over. Yep. And, yep. you know, how many times has Chatagnier just gotten a gigantic hit, right? Because Jacob Gonzalez, you know, Calvin Harris walks. And you're like, okay, they're in business here. And then Jacob Gonzalez uh, does not have a very good at bat. He had a very defensive swing at a strike three on the outside corner. It was just not a good at bat. And you're like, great, they're about to squander this. Now it's really over. And guess who clears the bases? Yeah, no, but Chatagnier, yeah, you're right. So Chatagnier hits a bases clearing double. And then Graham hits an absolute nuke to right field. I so really a game again. Um, the, just on Kevin Graham's nuke again, I'm sitting down the right field line, probably a little bit behind third base or first base in the box seats. And it, I, it, that ball was hit so far that like I lost sight of it. 
<laughs> let me. This is how how far that ball got out of the stadium. Wallace, the right fielder, didn't move. He like he like just did the thing where he turned around and jogged and was like, you know what, screw this and stopped. <laughs> like that is one of the farthest hit balls I've seen in that stadium in a long time. I've been early on this too about Kevin Graham's sneaky power, and I don't mean that in the traditional sense of like, oh, you know, this guy hits more home runs than you think. Of course, anyone that's watched Ole Miss baseball knows that he has power, but he doesn't like. Like, he knows when one's gone, and he knew when that one was gone. Like, he kind of flipped the bat a little bit and started jogging. But he doesn't admire his work so much to where it almost deceives how far some of those balls go. I always bring up his freshman year when they were in Hoover, and he hit a ball off a kid actually from Arkansas. Off the scoreboard. Yes, off the top of the scoreboard. But it was just the classic, I know this is gone, I'm going to drop the bat and start jogging, to where if most dudes hit a ball that far, they're standing there at home plate until the umpire was like, hey, man, get the hell out of here and start running. He does that all the time. Yeah, Dillard, Dillard would might still be at home plate. Yes, but Dillard is a little muscle hamster guy. Not little. He's a you know strong guy. And when he hits one, his swing is so powerful, you think, well, how far is that going to travel? To where I feel like Graham hits it the same way every time. Like, his home run swings are not a ton different than his other ones where you know it's gone, and then it goes 40 feet over beyond where you think it's going to go, and you're like, <laughs> holy hell. Yeah, yeah, absolute nuke. Um, and that's that's kind of the about where it's like, all right, we're getting back in this. Because you got to remember, that was in the sixth inning, and I Arkansas had nothing left in the pen. I mean, they, they asked their closer to go three innings on two separate days, and God bless the kid, he did it, but. You know, that's that's how you know their pen doesn't have much. And I knew Ole Miss could get after them if they could just keep putting up zeros. And unfortunately, I mean, they, they just could not get a zero to save their life at the end. Right, and they get a zero after that. because Yeah, get, they did there. And then you get the bench single, McCants single, Van Cleve drives one home, Plumley pinch runs, you get Leatherwood with another big single. It's 14-13. Harris reaches on a fielder's choice where I was like, did that, is that guy really transferring it? Whatever. I would argue at that point where it's 14 to 14 with one out, you know, Ole Miss didn't really take advantage of things. Gonzalez had another bat at bat and then shot and yay grounds out. But man, when it's 14 14 with runners on yeah. the corners, you kind of want to make, particularly with the way that game's going, you're thinking only way this feels successful if it's 16 14. And unfortunately, that did not happen. I guess no, that's, you know, you yeah, can argue if it matters or not. But yeah. Yeah, that's where you wanted to take the lead, and you just couldn't get it. And then, you know, Forsyth, I think, walks the guy. He's, he's obviously done at that point. And then they bring in Broadway, and, and frankly, Broadway didn't have it. I mean, he, I'm sure – I know what happened. They asked him 30 minutes before the game. Like, they always said, hey, man, you got something? He said, yeah, coach, I got an inning. He didn't have an inning. Like, fastball was flat. Slider wasn't there. And, and you know, he almost gets out of it. Slavin sits the ball off the wall, and if he's able to get him out, you know, then it's a whole different deal. But – you know, I, I, I don't I don't think anybody that watched Taylor Broadway pitch thought he had it. No, of course not. And it's not really fair to ask him to do that considering no. what he'd done the day before. And you talk about not having it, as much as we kind of pumped up Forsyth, and for the most part, rightfully so, because, you know, he was the guy that put up the zero that let them get back in the game, right? But sure. you talk about not having it. Man, he throws four pitches to that first kid, Webb, in the eighth. And, I mean, if there were four plates, none of those were a strike. And yeah, they, no. They come back into Broadway, and like you said, he just he didn't have it. But at the same time, you know, you get the throwing error or whatever on the failed pickoff attempt, and he gives up a walk. But hell, if he gets Goodhart, strikes out Wallace. I mean, if, they, if that Slavin's kid does not hit that double, it's a whole different ball game. And it was an absolutely. 0-1 down. 
Yeah, absolutely. He doesn't hit the double. It's 14 to 14. You have all the confidence in the world going in the dugout. You put up a run, and then you run Broadway back out there, and, you know, maybe he runs it on fumes. Maybe he gets it. Who knows? Hey, but, no, you know. You talk about a, you not thinking a game's over. To be honest, dude, when Slavens hits the double and then Franklin follows it up with a single at 17-14, I was like, I, I'm just not sure if this team has another return punch. I don't know. I, I, I had seen how they had hit cops, and I just kind of thought they'd get back after him. Um, they didn't, and, and that's okay. But, I, you know, that's also, they were out of gas. That was another thing I had written down. That's a credit to cops. So, I, I, had, a, uh, I had a comment and then a question, and I'll get to you before we get to our listeners' questions and we wrap up the series. Um, so, cops obviously does not have his best stuff, right? Like, he's kind of rubber-arming it a little bit. And you can kind of tell he doesn't have all of it on a fastball. But him shutting down Ole Miss the last two innings, he threw some pretty nasty breaking balls to where that was kind of what he was running on. And that was all he had, particularly back-to-back batters in the night to strike out Chatagnier and whoever else that was. Um, so I, I, you got to give him credit for that, right? That's a pretty gutty performance. I, I thought sure. that was fairly impressive, particularly with the way that started. You know, Ole Miss roughs him up in the seventh a little, and then he kind of settles down. Uh, the other part of that uh, comment I would say I'd pose is a question. I've never actually asked this to very many baseball guys, and you're, you coach baseball. How does that – you know, when you don't have it and you're coming on your second one and second day, obviously you're worried about the velo being down, but how much does that affect the, 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 the bend on your stuff? Um, a lot. I mean, when you, when you talk about, you know, you're throwing your – I mean, because if your, your fastball velocity is going to be – you know, down your slider velocity is going to be down. And when you talk about, you know, maybe not vertical break, but look, like when you talk about a 78-mile-hour slider that's now 74, it's a lot easier to read. Uh, the, the dot in the middle of the baseball is a lot easier to see. Um, you know, and obviously and, – and here's what it does. It's like I don't necessarily think that the break is all that different, but if I face a guy that's throwing 93 and now he's throwing 89, well – I'm not letting him – he's not going to just burn a fastball by me, so I'm no longer worried about selling out for a fastball and having to adjust to a slaughter because he can't get this fastball by me. So it's just it's, – it's not necessarily from a different type – like your stuff doesn't move as much standpoint. It's I can sit back and adjust to a slider uh, because he's throwing 89 today rather than he's throwing 93. I have to sell out for this fastball. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's the difference in velocity and, and the way pitches look out of his hand to where you're kind of already eliminating one of the options. To, like Basically, you're saying that his, his fastball that's a weapon is eliminated and his other stuff is not quite as good. And so that would almost underscore what I was talking about to where you know, Ole Miss loses this game and, you know, he wasn't uh, – Cops wasn't great at the beginning. But I, I thought that was a really gutty performance to where how many dudes in this league – and I know he's a veteran guy, but – how many dudes in this league have the stones to just completely rely on their secondary stuff for six outs in a huge game like that? Yeah, not many. Because I mean, you know, I mean, you talk about him; he threw three innings yesterday. So no, it was an impressive outing. Um, and look, obviously his stat line doesn't look great, but he uh, he was able to get two zeros and, and hold a, a very streaky Ole Miss offense off the board. So uh, credit to him. Uh, credit to Arkansas this whole weekend, man. Like, look, I've made no bones about it. I, I've pretty much hate Arkansas baseball, but that they were really good this week and they're a really good baseball team. And I will not be shocked if at the end of the year and God, I hope I'm wrong, but I will not be shocked at the end of the year. They're the national champion. They're very good. And I think it's okay to say it too. The Ole Miss is very good. They have some. Absolutely. They're still trying to figure out life without Tim Elko, but you know, and I thought that was important. I thought that perception matters at all, but Ole Miss not just getting absolutely shit canned after you get down 11, nothing changes the way perception of them is. And I don't know if that matters to the committee, 
I don't know how that ends up playing out for them, but that can't be a bad thing for them that they came back and made that a battle. No, it's not a bad thing. And frankly, I think if anybody watched that baseball game, look, I, I said this on Twitter. There were two teams. There, there are two teams in the country that can erase an 11-0 deficit versus an SEC team, and they were both in Oxford today. Um, those are two of the best teams in the country. Arkansas is the best team in the country, and Ole Miss isn't far behind them. Um, and, you know, you just kind of hope that the next time you see them, frankly, you hope that the next time you see Arkansas outside of Hoover is in the national title series, or at least in the college world series. Absolutely. Let's get to some listener questions and then sure. we'll wrap up the series, talk some masters and get out of here. Uh, today is not a mailbag Friday. Uh, just to be clear today, today we're not, we're not, uh, we're not putting God on the hot seat on this one, but we did take <laughs> questions today belongs to the Lord and that pastor from Sheridan that says he doesn't like the way Ole Miss baseball celebrates. Did you see that? Yeah, screw that guy. I usually don't bite on stuff like that, but I did quote tweet it, and now I'm looking back at the questions, and my man who put that out there has since deleted the tweet. Um, uh, props to that. Soft. Guy. Yeah, soft. Like soft lack of commitment. You know, I mean, I don't think Jesus bat flipped when he had when he removed the stones and walked out of the tomb. Um, but he respected the game. But anyway, we do have a bunch of questions, and it's funny we get more questions off of these uh, emotional baseball games than on Mailbag Fridays, but. Uh, I'm not negging the listener, but maybe I am. Here we go. Bullpen is struggling. Why would a guy like Diamond throwing 95 to 98 be more valuable out of the pen? Drew seems to be better as a starter. I think we covered that a second ago. I, I don't have any qualms with that. I think you may have answered your own question. Fair? Yeah, absolutely. And look, when you talk about a, you know, you talk about this bullpen, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll ask you, what's the best way to not have to use the bullpen? Get more length out of your starter. Uh-huh. Yeah. So maybe, you know, get more than 1.1 1 .1 out of your guy on Sunday and you don't have to use the bullpen as much. Thoughts on how effective that bunt was? To be honest, my first instinct with as crazy as that Sunday game was, my first instinct was what bunt? Yeah, they bunted in the ninth. And everybody's like, oh, they're trying to get an extra run. It's like it, they've scored 17 today. I mean, sure, Ole Miss threw it into, you know, freaking right field. But, you know. I, oh, that was the <laughs> Arkansas bunt. Wasn't it on yeah. Baker or was that off of uh, – Myers. I thought, I thought it was off Myers. I'm, yeah, it was off Myers. Um, if you're off Luke Baker, you should tear up whatever scouting report you had. Yeah. I, you know, people give me grief when bunts work, and it's like, you know, yeah, they're going to work occasionally, and occasionally that, you know, it, it makes some sense. Or not, no, no, let me rephrase. Occasionally, the result, like, this is a thing that people never understand about baseball, and I swear to God, over the, I, I hope to live till I'm at least 80. So, over the next 55 years of my life, uh, I don't think ever anybody will ever understand it. It's like sometimes doing stupid things work out, and, like, that doesn't make the thing that you did less stupid. It's a Kevin O'Sullivan theory. Can we call it that? <laughs> <laughs> How'd this weekend go for him? Yeah, exactly. I mean, we'll get to that in just a second, but it's a Kevin O'Sullivan theory. I couldn't agree more. I was trying to articulate in that solo hit I had before we had Greg's Mailbag podcast where I was like, just between some, just because something works does not make it revolutionary. And you probably put it a little more succinctly, just like just because someone does something dumb doesn't mean it's not dumb because it works. Here's another one, and I think this is a good way to uh, maybe encapsulate the pitching weekend. How does an SEC team allow 18 free bags in a single game? Look, the umpires sucked, but that is a cause of concern, man. You lose your best hitter, and the lineup puts up for the team in spades. I mean, they were as good as a consistent as you could ask through ask for through about seven guys. 
And your bullpen really lets you down, man. Whatever you think of the umpire, 19 free passes is actually what it was today, unless I have that wrong, is, is really bad. No, they were awful. Um, they were absolutely terrible. But, you know, it's – I don't think – look, man, I don't – Luke Baker's not going to get many more SEC innings, you know. Um, so One more would be too much, and I don't mean to be cruel to the kid. Sorry. No. And, frankly, Josh Mallett shouldn't get many more SEC innings. Um, you know, so I I don't know. I, the, the bullpen's not good, but, like, do like this. Ole Miss went to the College World Series in 2014. They used about five or six guys in the bullpen. They used Laxer, Greenwood, uh, Weathersby, um, Massey, maybe, you know, White Short. I think they used about five guys. Ole Miss, you know, uh, assuming they move McDaniel to Sunday, they're going to have Broadway in the, in the bullpen. They're going to have Forsyth. They're going to have Miller. They're going to have Myers. They're going to have Diamond. You don't need that freaking deep of a bullpen to be really good. You need about four to five guys, and you need a freak show of a closer. And Ole Miss has that. I think this bullpen, if you if you ask the right guys to do the right things, can be perfectly fine. You've just got to be able to do that. And asking, you know, Luke Baker to get outs today is not going to be a recipe for success. Asking, you know, Taylor Broadway to have to come back and throw after throwing almost 50 pitches yesterday, not a recipe for success. So I think they've got to figure out how to take those four to five guys. And I think I didn't include Austin Miller. I think Austin Miller can get outs. I think you've got to take those five or six guys and be able to maximize them. And I, I just don't think Ole Miss has done a very good job of that so far this year. Agree. I think the last part you hit about that, where you talk about asking the right guys to do the right thing, is exactly what this bullpen's problem is. It's not the depth. Because even the guys you just named, if things got really weird and all those guys are burned, you trust Wes Burton a little bit. Sure. One or two more guys. And if Max Sophie gets healthy. Exactly. There's one or two more guys after that. The problem with this bullpen is it's not being used in a way to where it can create its greatest value. It's not being used in a manner in which it can be kind of, I guess, capitalized or make the most of its success. They're not being always put in position to be successful. And, again, like, I've always warded off as much as I may disdain the guy sometimes critics of Mike Bianco largely as a whole. But he's not absolved from criticism in the way this bullpen's been managed. I can't talk today. But at the same time, he also has time to figure it out. Could you argue that not going to Drew McDaniel before the Arkansas series is a series too late? Sure. But if he does it next weekend, it's not necessarily going to matter a whole lot in the end. He better get it right before May. But at the same time, he has not done a good job with that so far. No, no, he is not. And, you know, but at the same time, you're eight and four in the league and perfectly fine. You know, as far as, you know, if the season ended today and, you know, they were, ho- they were ho- you know, selecting seeds and national seeds, Ole Miss would be the number four national seed. So, it's okay. But it's, it's probably time to get it right. Any shot Ely comes back this year, no. I would say zero. I mean, and I, I could be wrong. Look, the kid loves baseball, but uh, they're going to give him a lot of money to run a football after next year. Was this the worst weekend of home plate umpires of all time? Yes. Uh, I'm not a guy that notices umpires, but this is the worst I can remember in quite a while. And I've been watching this for you – know, I'm not old or anything, but I, I've been watching this for, for a little while now. Yeah, I – so, yeah. I, 
I'm not one to complain much about baseball officiating because I, I do understand and acknowledge that they have a really hard job. I do complain about football and basketball officiating a lot. Um, that's another story for another day. But I, I, I really don't complain about officiating in baseball games. Um, they were horrendous. So, yeah, absolutely. Do you have any years of pitching eligibility left Braden Harrison would like to know? Uh, I threw – the last time I threw in a game was, I think, my 10th grade year. I threw a – You got five years with COVID. That's a good point. Yeah, my 10th grade year, I uh, – so, <laughs> I had to catch pretty much my entire life, but up until my 10th grade year, we had another catcher, so I could throw a little bit. But after that, they didn't let me pitch anymore because we didn't have anybody else on the team that could catch. So, I don't know if Mike Bianco has my film from 2009. <laughs> But that's not the question. You do have eligibility left. Absolutely. I, I have as much eligibility Baker. left as Luke Baker. It's a good point. It's a good point. Our, uh, our guy Tyler hits into a topic that I kind of wanted to get to in a second. He says, how does five continue to put Baker in the lineup? He's a lot of ability. I got to say the same thing about Ben Van Cleve, but at least he got a hit today. Uh, I'll stop you right there. I don't even think that's – I get that was an important hit today. But I don't even think that's necessarily kind of a uh, qualifier to have both of those discussions. Look, man, I, I, t- I sent a text to a buddy on Saturday who was actually at the games this weekend. He flew in from Houston. There are a couple of my friends there. And I was like, does he might have the chance to let Gunner DH? And I was kind of partially tongue-in-cheek because, like you mentioned, like if he takes a fastball off his pitching elbow, you know, <laughs> someone's getting fired or shot. Like it, it's not great out there. But, man, don't you have to start reconnecting <laughs> – how you think about anything when it comes to the bottom part of this lineup, because the odds that Kale Baker and Ben Van Cleve are contributors to this team long-term at this point. And I hate to turn on the guy after a weekend in Baker's case, after making the case that it's just a lack of a sample size, but w- what else do you need to see there? That's not happening in my opinion. Um, I'll push back a little bit. Okay. I thought Van Cleve, I thought Van Cleve was fine this weekend. I thought he went two for seven with a walk. Is that great? No. Um, is it, you know, world beating? No, I thought the ball's hard at people. Uh, I, look, like, let me make sure I say this how I want to. Someone's got to freaking play. That's like, <laughs> they have to have nine dudes in the lineup. So, you know, is are they great options? No. But Trey LaFleur, Tim Elko, or Calvin Harris, or Ben Van Cleve, or John Rice Plummer, there's five dudes. Pick two of them. Somebody's got to play. Um, What's Ben Van Cleve in the lineup to do? At this point, he's to hit singles because he doesn't hit homers. He's yet to home run and hit a home run in a college game. Well, that's not true. He went to Northwest. Say it correctly. D1 game. <laughs> he's hit one in MACGJC. Uh, but, yeah, I agree. I mean, but someone's got to freaking play. Okay, like, okay, fine, fine. I'll, I'll concede that to you. I'll 100% concede that. But with just the way it looks, and I'm not even necessarily disagreeing. I I agree with that point. And I'm not full-on going anti-Baker and Van Cleve. But, man, with the way John Rice Plumley, I know he takes too many good pitches sometimes, but his overall approach at the plate is pretty good. And with the way – It's fine. Okay, fine. I'll I'll concede fine. With the way Hayden Leatherwood has continued to hit the baseball the last two weeks – why can he not be the DH? Why can John Rice, not, John Rice Palmy not play right field? You've eliminated one problem as is. And here's another point. 
I'm not loving what I see from Calvin Harris all the time, but he put on a first baseman's mitt today. He did. Um, not sure if that's the smartest thing, and I don't think they would have done it if they had to. But, you know, I just already made the case for putting both of the two guys we're talking about out. And I, I, I don't, yeah. don't want to completely give up on Baker, but let's focus on Van Cleef for a second. What else more do you need to see? I mean, I, I didn't think he was awful this weekend. I'll just be honest. I, I didn't. I thought he hit some balls. I mean, he hit a piss rod today right at the second baseman, and, you know, he had seven at bat. I don't know, but I just I, – I, I struggle to think, like, I don't think uh, Trey LaFleur can help this team right now. So, so now you're down to four. So are you going to play Calvin Harris against left-handed pitching? I mean, that, that's a legitimate question, and I know they have serious, serious concerns about him being able to hit left-handed pitching. So now you have to play Ben Van Cleve or Cal, uh, Kel Baker. Um, I think – I don't know how someone can watch those two play and think that Ben Van Cleve is not better than Cal, Kel Baker at the plate. I think Kel Baker is, is, is just kind of lost it at this point. I'll so, that. Can we stop playing both, though? No, I'm – I'm, both I'm, at one time? <sighs> Yeah, but the problem – I mean, not the problem, but you're going to have to do that at the DH position because um, Ben Van Cleef can't play the field. So, I don't know. I Somebody's got to play. And, and I, I, I get the point that Calvin Harris has been fine, but I don't necessarily think he's been overly spectacular. And, again, they have serious, serious concerns about him being able to hit left-handed pitching. Um, so, we'll see. I Look. I didn't think Ben Van Cleve was great this weekend, but I didn't think he was near as awful as I think a lot of people thought this weekend either. I don't disagree with that this weekend on its surface, man. But at the same time, you mentioned – and I, 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 set, I set you up with this loaded question. And I said, what is he in the lineup to do? And you said at this point hit singles because he's not hitting the ball over the fence. But, man, you're the DH because you can't play in the field and that's what they're hoping to get out of you is singles. That's, that's not great. No, I mean, it's not a good position to be in. Don't get me wrong, but I just – I don't necessarily think casting him away is the best answer either. Okay. Then can we meet in the middle on this and let Plumley play and let Leatherwood play somewhere else? I would – what I would – what I would argue is that you should play Plumley and left. Um, can Leatherwood play first base? Well, I don't – I mean, you could put Leatherwood at the DH spot if you needed to. Um you put put Plumley in left, bring Graham in to play first base, and then let. I, here's what I would do, frankly. I would put Plumley in, in left field. I'd bring Graham in to play first base, and then I would alternate Van Cleve and Harris at the DH spots. Yes, that's what I was getting at. That way, you ne- never have to figure out which one of them would play the field. And it's like, you know, <laughs> pick the worst of the poisons. I hate to be mean about it, but like, come on. No, that's exactly what I would do. I would play Plumlee in left field. I would get the most defensive value I could because I'm not getting I'm not getting offensive value from Kel Baker and Trey LaFleur right now. And then I would alternate left, right on Ben Van Cleve and Calvin Harris. I would agree that Baker, excuse me, Van Cleve offers a little more upside because he has had some poor fortune where he's hit a few balls hard to where he hasn't gotten lucky to where Baker just looks lost at the plate pretty much all the time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I I'm pretty convinced that's what they should do after this weekend. Because I don't, I don't think Trey LaFleur can help this team right now. I was about to say, go ahead and finish your thought. My bad. It lagged a little bit. No, I was, I was just saying, I don't think LaFleur can help at all right now. I would agree with that. Is that some of that – how long do you stick with him, though? Because we talked about the mono factor and not being yourself after that. I'm not saying it's because of that. But I'm also saying there's no way to know. 
he's going to have to look better in midweek games before I let him play on the weekend again. Fair point. Does this series ease your concern about the offense without Elko? Is what? Yes, absolutely. 30, I don't even know what your name is. Thirty. Yes. Um, yeah, absolutely. Thirty runs, three games. Absolutely, oh, without a doubt. What year do you finally take home the green jacket? Oh, this is our pal Andrew Stevens. Uh, when I hit the ball three hundred. Oh, uh, let's see. Why do humans tear down birds' houses to make birdhouses? Someone is trying to cuck Randy here. I don't even know if I'm allowed to say that. Excuse me. Someone's trying to take his robe. <laughs> Randy. I'm going to get in trouble for that, but I'm going to leave it in. I don't care. This is my own podcast. Um, I, yeah, that's a good point. It's a good point. You shouldn't make birdhouses out of wood because you're killing birdhouses in the process. Why do I continue to fall back into old habits, Matt Barnhouse asked? Because uh, you're human, and I do that all the time. <laughs> Oh, here's a good one. This is actually a baseball one. I thought I got the baseball ones out of the way. How does Bianco only have one legitimate lefty option out of the pen? Seems like every other SEC team has more than one. Uh, I would say part of that is a uh, scholarship deal to where, you know, when you have 21 full ones, you have the luxury of being like, how many more lefties do I need? And I'm not blaming Bianco for that, but it is interesting. Have you noticed a trend over the last four-ish years where they've kind of had a lack of left-handed options? Yep. Absolutely have. Um, not great, so. I don't know. It needs to be addressed in recruiting. I mean, Benji Gilbert was supposed to be good, and, you know, they thought Trey LaFleur would pitch when he came here. But, you know, just hasn't worked out, obviously. Benji Gilbert's not still here, right? No, no. He's going to uh, somewhere in Florida to play Juco ball. I was about to say, that's what I thought. If dude, Although, I'll tell you what, man. With Luke Baker coming out of the pen, if they'd have pulled Benji Gilbert after him, I might have been like, okay. I wasn't sure he was still around, but wouldn't sh- not shocking. Um, anyway. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, that's a, that's a interesting. But don't you do you give any credence to my scholarship theory on that? To where it's easy I mean, to sure, like three more dudes. I, I think yeah, but I think anywhere like you look and it's like, why don't we have enough depth here? The the answer is always going to be scholarships. Like uh, I, I, yeah, sure. But but I, I just I would argue that, that that's maybe where it manifests itself you know, more. Why is TJ McCants having to play center field scholarships? It's a good point. Very good point. Uh, let's see. I think – oh, is the Arkansas versus Ole Miss series a College World Series finale preview? You I could convince that. me of that. You could, but, like, let's – let's. I mean, there is a team that did lose two or three this weekend that wears black and gold that's pretty solid. Sure. Well, I'm just you, – you tell me those teams make the College World Series final. I, I don't skip a beat. All right. I'll send the uh, – before we before I keep you too long and before we get out of here – um, I will let's see how many more. I sent you a couple bullet points before we got on to the pod and got down and dirty into this. Want to make sure I hit all of them. Yes, we did hit all of those. Do you have any more all-encompassing thoughts on this weekend? The floor is yours. No, I just I, – look, um, I know it sucks because you've lost two series in a row. It's like, oh, is this team any good? Yeah, they're, they're really good. Um, so, you know, don't get too frustrated. This, this team, I think – Look, I've been very bad at predicting Mississippi State series, so if Mississippi State fans listen to this, they're probably like, oh, you know, he's a homer. You know, probably right. I don't like your baseball team and I don't like your university, but that's another story for another day. Um, I'll say it again. I think Ole Miss wins two this coming weekend. So, we'll see. Uh, I guess I should predict that because every time I do, like Mississippi State wins. So, maybe I should think that Ole Miss is going to win one. But, I don't know. I think Ole Miss is really good. I think that was shown this weekend. You're not really – you don't you don't come back from down 11 to nothing if you're not really good. Um, so thank God, like, like every college baseball team, Ole Miss has some flaws, but I think they're one of the best five teams in the country. And, you know, I, I don't think this weekend changes that. 
would definitely agree on that. Let's take a look around the SEC as we did. I'll total up our picks the next time before we do that, just because I ran out of time to do it. I wasn't being lazy, I promise. Um, but I just kind of ran out of time. Let's take a look around the league. Uh, presumably, South Carolina took three from Missouri. They did. Two. Yeah, okay. Look, man, at a certain point, like South Carolina and Tennessee's record are what they are, man. They're they're nine nine and three with the balls and eight and four. And Tennessee, what, takes two of three from Florida, or they sweep them? They were up six to three today going for the sweep. I presume they swept them. We'll have they to look. They did sweep. They are okay. nine and three, and Florida is six and six. I think it's time to call Tennessee good. It, no, it's been time to call Tennessee good. It's almost time to call them elite. Uh, yeah, no kidding. That could uh, that could be a battle. I, I don't Ten- uh, Tennessee Vandy next weekend. That is a that's going to be must see TV. Kentucky appears to have rebounded yeah. to some degree. What did they do? They lost two or three to LSU. Never mind. I don't know why. I thought their record was uh, worse than six and six before that, but I guess no. They were five and four coming this weekend and lost two at home to LSU. Not great. So it, it turns out pumping the brakes back to that Tennessee Florida series. Kevin O'Sullivan is not the smartest man to ever invent baseball. No, he. Uh, well, fairness to him, so he, he Mace got lit up against Tennessee. Um, and then, for some reason, he got lit up and they brought Christian Scott in, who started the game against Ole Miss on Friday night, um, to throw two innings while they were behind. And Jack Leftwich only pitched an inning this weekend. So, I, I don't really know what he's doing besides being an in. Yeah, what does it do with that? He was fine for, like, two months before that. I don't know. He must have slept with someone that O'Sullivan was close with or something. I don't know. But it's – no, I don't you know, 0 and 6 on the road now in the SEC. We stand corrected, by the way. Uh, Missouri won the Friday night game 7 to 2. But the Missouri Tigers are 4 no. and 8. No. Did they really? Yeah, they won 7 to 2. So that, I was surprised by that, too, because I didn't watch any of that game and I watched very little of that series. But they won the Friday game 7 to 2. Where in the world else are you finding four Missouri wins in this league? Two of them came last weekend. Yeah, I guess they did. Wow. I did not realize that. That's a. Uh... That's a new one. They won seven to two on Friday. I guess the reason I, I I didn't know that because they started late. They had a rain delay. Sure, sure, South Carolina. Why would you lose on Friday night to Missouri? Yeah, that's going to be one that's probably costly for their hosting chances at some point. Um, good grief! I know we kind of upticked Auburn as the greatest one in eighteen. Oh, good time. God! I think they're just not good. I know State they suck. And credit to State for going on the road and taking care of business, but I just thought Auburn getting a little bit healthy and having the pitching coming back that they might go in a little bit of a run, no. uh, but they, they stink. They're done. I, I don't know what, but look, Butch was setting himself up for getting a really good job, top tier job. Not anymore. And I don't think Butch is a bad coach. I think Butch, Butch is an excellent coach, but how are you one in 11, man? Like that makes no sense. No, that's hard to do. Uh, their schedule hasn't been, I would say the most friendly, but at the same time, I mean, they played Alabama, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, and Arkansas. That's not great, but dear God, I mean, one in eleven at the same time is one in eleven. Alabama, you called this, and we'll get to the picks later in the week. But Alabama takes three at A and M. Yeah, A sucks. Yeah, and Alabama's oh, Al- got a favorable schedule, and uh, I saw Kenny say that Prelip might be back next week or the next. They got a chance to kind of go on a run here. They're after a tough start with the tough draw. They're five and seven with a with a fairly favorable schedule in front of them. Yeah, I know Arkansas is still on it. I know the LSU's still on it. I know Vanderbilt's still on it too. Godspeed. But yeah, definitely a favorable schedule and have a shot to make a run and make a regional. 
Auburn's next uh, six ga- Auburn's next three series, or excuse me, Alabama. It's Auburn, Kentucky, and Missouri. Oof, six wins there at least. So they're five and seven. Give them six and three, 11 and 10. So you need four of your last nine to make regional, which is Vanderbilt. I'm going to give them one. At LSU, I'm going to give them one. Ooh, so I don't know. They'll have Vanderbilt, LSU, and State where they need to find four wins. You better go win a series in Baton Rouge is basically the way that's going to Yeah. But good for them, man. We we talked about this when Ole Miss played them. They're not. They were not as bad as their record. That is absolutely the fourth best team in the West. Yeah. Bar not, none? Even not even close. Yeah. Well, I don't. You're talking it's, it's, LSU, A and M, or Auburn? Who is Alabama? No, I'm talking. I'm talking LSU. Um, you tell me LSU and hey, look. I think LSU sucks just watching them play, but I'm never counting those bastards out either. Fair enough. They take two or three for Kentucky. Uh, boy, A and M, Rob Childress. Hey, he's done. You think they can him? Yeah, they have to. He's horrid. Fair enough. Uh, what is he in the SEC right now? Three and nine. Can you imagine Ole Miss message boards if Mike Bianco was three and nine? And that's the you know I, I meant to bring up this point when Ole Miss went through the state of Alabama. It's like, yeah, you better be happy you swept – not be happy you swept, be happy you swept. But, again, the day Ole Miss cans Mike Bianco, unless they get absolutely nailed the hire, that's who they are, is Alabama and Auburn. Yeah. That's who your program but, is without Mike Bianco. I mean, you can get the hire right. Let's be very clear. I mean, there, there are good coaches that can win at Mike Bianco's level. There are coaches that can run it in the ground real quick, too. There's more of the latter than the former, too. Absolutely. Um. Let's see. I mean, obviously, the story of the weekend, uh, Georgia takes two from Vanderbilt. What did you make of that? And two convincing wins. Kumar Rocker's beatable. And then they're obviously beatable in the last game of the series. I mean, I, I don't. I think Kumar Rocker's a monster now. Don't get me wrong. He's beatable. And Jack Slider's not. But Kumar Rocker is beatable. And they, they won the Kumar Rocker game, and then they took advantage of him on Sunday or Saturday. I mean, I, I don't think there's any reason to press panic over Vanderbilt, though. Absolutely not. But, you know, we, we did get questions for a couple of weeks there. It was like, what is even the point? Like, is anyone beating Vanderbilt? Absolutely. And I think you were early on this in the sense that they don't hit, like, past Vanderbilt teams. Oh. Um, so, if you get after Rocker, you got a shot. No, you ain't beating Lighter. That was uh, that was really all the questions we had. We've been going at this a while. Uh, I'll close with a couple of Masters thoughts. Do you have any more overall baseball thoughts from the weekend? I'll give you the floor. No, nah, I'm I'm good. I mean, it's kind of a status quo weekend for the most part outside of Vanderbilt. I mean, Arkansas won a series on the road. Good for them. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's pretty much status quo after that. Hideki Matsuyama wins the Masters. He's the first Japanese player to win uh, a major championship. I think that's really cool. Uh, you know, you always talk about golf kind of growing the game and being a more global game. They've expanded into Asia, obviously. I mean, there's a ton of good uh, – you know, Asian and Pacific players on the PGA Tour. And it actually was a little surprising to me that no one from Japan had ever won before. You got a lot of Korean players on tour that are very good. But I thought it was cool. You know, it was an anticlimactic finish. You know, if 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 Shoffley doesn't dump the ball in the water on 16, you never know. It becomes a pretty, uh, pretty dramatic finish there because Matsuyama does fade at the end. He hits the ball over the, over the green on 15, hits it in the water, and gets lucky to walk off with a six. And all of a sudden, Shoffley's two back after being six down like 45 minutes ago. And, you know, if, if, 
if Shoffley hits that eight iron and, and judges the win right because Matsuyama you know makes a four uh, by hitting it up on that high terrace on the uh, 16th green and can't make the two putt you have yourself a you have yourself a tournament but Matsuyama just kind of outlasted everyone on a day in which a lot of people struggled I thought it was cool I don't know did you see that clip of his caddy kind of doing the the Japanese bow afterward after he takes the flag I, I thought I, the whole I, thing was cool I think that's an important moment for that country a really cool storyline heading to the Olympics of course I would have liked to be dramatic but this is a guy that's been around professional golf a long time, and uh, I thought it was cool. No, that, that does sound cool. I, I'll be honest. I haven't seen a thing from it. I've been so consumed by this baseball series that I, I did not watch a minute of it. So that is cool that the uh, first Japanese-American wins. I, I, I've, I've obviously known his name for a while now, but that, that is cool that, that they win. So when will the next major be? You've got the PGA in a couple weeks, actually. They used to be in August, and now they've moved that up to May. But uh, what's crazy is uh, Matsuyama, the Masters is the most exclusive golf tournament in the world. It's the hardest one to get into on earth. Matsuyama is 29 years old and played in 10 Masters. He was the low am at 19, which means he won the the Asian Pacific Amateur and gets in. He was the low amateur finisher when he was 19 in 2000, whatever that was. By my count, that man, since he's been a professional golfer, has missed one Masters. That means pretty much... He's been top 50 in the world from the time he's been 20 years old. That's uh, not too shabby. Not pretty good. Pretty good. You can make a nice living doing that. I'll put it that way. <laughs> so I thought it was cool. It was a good Masters. The field was playing hard. You know, I, I thought, you know, they lacked some superstars on the weekend. Kepka was kind of on one leg. Rory didn't play very well. DJ didn't play very well. Speed just didn't have it on Sunday. It lacked the firepower, but – you know, I thought this was a solid storyline. You know, Matsuyama wins. He was very good for four days. His back nine. You know, this man, so he was two back of the lead, I think, and they had a short rain delay on Saturday. And he had eight holes left, and he was kind of hitting the drive left and right. You know what he did after the rain delay? What's that? He eight holes, six under par, and hit every single fairway. That's pretty much won the, won the tournament for him. That's a – That'll go down as one of the more memorable back nines, probably a major championship history. But that's one in the tournament. So that guy sits in his – he said he sat in his car for an hour and didn't really do anything. But uh, whatever he did in his car, he should probably do that again. That man sat in his car for an hour and a half and then went out and birdied six of eight holes. <laughs> for sure. Sounds like a, sounds like a winning plan, uh, riding out a rain delay in your vehicle. Pretty legendary. So that'll do it. I know you got to drive back. Um Crazy weekend that was. I appreciate you joining me as always. These uh, Sunday nights always turn into marathons. But uh, I appreciate it. We'll be back at it on Friday, previewing Ole Miss's huge series with Mississippi State. And if you like what you heard today, go subscribe, rate and review the podcast, leave us five stars. You can say whatever you want in the comments. Go check out LB's University Avenue. Skybox Sports Picks hitting the 4,500 Justin Rose after round one. I hope everyone capitalized on that. Go check those dudes out. But, uh, dude, I appreciate the time as always, and we will catch up at the end of the week. All right. Sounds good, man. Be safe. Everybody have a safe and happy week. We'll be back at it with something on Wednesday. I'm not sure yet, but uh, take care. Have a good Monday.